This episode of How To Wrestling was brought to you by our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling. This show is 100% fan and listener supported, so if you'd like to help out the show and get access to over 100 pieces of audio content and some videos as well, you can do so by becoming one of our lovely backers. If you back at a $5 level, you get access to all of our pay-per-view reviews going all the way back to 2015. We cover all of WWE and AEW's offerings, as well as that we have our pay-per-view classic series where joe and i go back and review classic pay-per-views as voted by our fans over on patreon and we have had a lot of fun with those reviewing recently the likes of wrestlemania 17 survivor series 2008 where mr billy keeble of the attitude podcast joined us and survivor series 1998 as well so joe is now familiar thank god with the deadly games tournament if you would like to sponsor an episode and have a shout out here at the start for your project your podcast your product your website series your youtube whatever it may be we have spots available now hit us up at howtowrestling at gmail.com that's howtowrestling at gmail.com for any and all information but for now settle in get some popcorn ready it's time to look at the bizarre career the life and times of dustin Rhodes. it's time for how to gold dust friends and welcome to the episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and maybe how to enjoy wrestling as well and today we're talking about the bizarre one the original american nightmare and the son of our previous episode today is all about how to goldust aka dustin rhodes hello once again it's me your old pal cowboy kevin joined as i am in this look back at one of the most lengthy careers i think we've ever had on how to wrestling and someone who's had both a lengthy career and is still wrestling to this day kevin here joined as always by my better half joe graham hello how are you doing today joe i'm doing well thank you yes how are you i am very excited it's just uh, right at the start there it just hit me we're talking about someone who started wrestling in like the 80s yeah and is still wrestling now i don't know if we've had like a a line through all of wrestling quite like this since we've started the pods i mean the closest i think is terry funk yeah god and that's just because terry funk insisted on continuing to wrestle well into his 70s (laughs) how are you feeling about today's episode yeah we're we're at a follow-on from the emotional climax, I think, of last episode of Dusty Rhodes. I mean, talk about nepotism. We're just doing Goldust <laughs> now because he's the son of the last episode. I mean, <laughs> it's so unfair, this privilege that is afforded to, you know, wrestling family members. No, I'm really excited. I, I loved what I've seen of Goldust. And I, after our episode last time on Dusty Rhodes, I feel, yeah, like this episode needed to happen. Yeah, I think there was kind of like an inherent sadness that was in the documentary particularly that we chose to watch that I felt we needed to work through that lest it kind of just fester and then we feel all weird when we went to do a Rhodes brother at some point in the future before we got into any of our research and our watching and all the fabulous stuff that was recommended by our our listeners and our followers over on Twitter and the Facebook give us a follow at How To Wrestling what did you know about 
Specifically, I want to talk about the Goldust character. Was that something that you had seen much of before we got into it? Yeah, I think I've seen him quite a lot, actually, compared to a lot of other characters that we've covered for this podcast. Mm. In that he was a character, you know, more of a, a mid-carder when I started watching wrestling. Yeah, he actually was on the TV show. He was, I think yeah. so, yeah. And I know he was teamed up with R-Truth for a while, as the Golden Truth, and that was a tag team I liked, I thought was fun. Yeah, we always get reminded of that anytime Billy Keeble visits the house, because Billy Keeble's pride of place in his wrestling t-shirt collection is the Goldust or truth family portrait t-shirt. banging t-shirt. It's so good. <laughs> and yeah, so I knew that about him. I knew, obviously, that he was the, the son of Dusty. I knew that he's the brother of Cody Rhodes, you know, one of the owners of AEW and I know that Goldust had like his early version of his character had like a long blonde wig and I think wore women's underwear and was a bit more um sexualized right Mm, uh, yeah i've heard i've heard it's controversial yeah i mean i'm trying to cast our mind back to when he may have appeared on previous episodes i know we do pay-per-view classic over on our patreon page i think he showed up a few times in some of the attitude era offerings that we did like survivor series and and whatnot but i do think as well the first exposure you may have had was when we did a Roddy Piper episode Ah. which is uh one of the, the great examples of like me just i think not fully understanding how to make him a character who appeals to me, appeal to you. So is that the one where Roddy like strips him naked and he's wearing like women's pants underneath and stuff? Yes, that is that is the, the Hollywood backlot brawl. So for, before people start tweeting us saying why we didn't do it for this episode, we've already done it for a previous episode. And that's a- the one with the OJ Bronco thing the the car chase the car chase yeah and uh, that's the bit where goldust is driving it runs over roddy piper in a golden uh cadillac as oh, well at one yeah. point I, it was a good i think you reviewed the match favorably if memory uh if memory serves yeah, i think it was quite fun wasn't it it's was, you know early cinematic match quite cool yeah i love the cinematic matches always good times yeah. so i think it's important to point out as well uh, the choosing of the name goldust for this episode as opposed to how to dustin Rhodes. Now, far be it from us to try and stereotype the man who's had many gimmicks and many phases of his career as to being just one character. That is not what we're trying to do here. We're going to try and examine Dustin Rhodes' career or him as a character and also the Goldust character. But you got to admit, Joe, from the old search engine optimization, if we went how to Dusty Rhodes followed by how to Dustin Rhodes, half of you would think we posted the same episode twice I by think mistake. I would accidentally post the same episode twice when uploading it to SoundCloud. Again, half of us, as we said, there's yeah. two people here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, we are going to be looking at Goldust in depth. This is obviously looking at Dustin as a whole. Now, starting off in his career way back when, what is it you remember from our last episode about Dustin's upbringing like what was it like being the son of the American dream as you could imagine sounds like a pretty typical experience for any child of a big name in wrestling Mm. in that he didn't really get to see his dad very often at all like he was lucky if he got to see him on Christmas day you know birthdays I think would have been spent without your dad yeah I think it's tough it's a slightly lonely time for a child he did have sisters, as far as I know, oh, really? from that marriage. But I still think it's like, it's got to be so lonely. And I think... Did the sisters not need a dad? They're just fine. <sighs> I know one of the sisters is a former Dallas cheerleader. That's all really? I know. Yeah, I was trying to find out more about the family. But I was thinking about this the other day. Like, having an absent parent has got to be hard enough, yeah. right? You know, and... You know, I, when I was growing up, nothing, obviously, like what the rest went through. But, like, you know, my parents worked, like, nine or ten o'clock 
you know, Monday to Friday, and I didn't see them most of the time when I was growing up as a little kid. On Tuesdays, my dad had a half day, so I could see my dad, he'd pick me up after school on Tuesdays. And then I went to boarding school age 12, so I feel like I kind of didn't get to see my parents a lot compared to some kids. And I, I find that quite hard, and I struggled with homesickness and stuff like that. Yeah. But I wonder if this kind of thing that Dustin went through of not seeing your dad so often, but seeing your mom all the time. And then when you see your dad, it's like, here he is in the fucking, the Crockett Jet. And you're going to Starcade and he's brought you all these presents and you're not going to see him for another 300 days. Yeah, oh. but you get to see him on television and he's oh. like this superhero, celebrity superstar. Yeah, I think that would be kind of weird. I don't see how you have a healthy relationship with a parent who you only get to see through a fictionalized version of themselves on television and like as bad as it was remember the jake roberts episode his dad grizzly smith yeah who ironically that's who dusty his big kind of breaking out was it was against grizzly smith to, to wrap it all together but like jake talked about the trauma of like you know watching his dad wear the fake neck brace and being like i gotta get my revenge on the man who did this to me the other side of that is like if you're the son of the guy who's like, I'm speaking for all of America. I have all the working class in my hand. We're all together. Black, brown, green, white, yellow. It doesn't matter. Like he's this almost cult-like figure. Like. But it's interesting that you bring up the thing about Grizzly Smith and the neck brace because I don't know if you remember in the episode we did on on Dusty Roads, but someone actually tweeted in that, that Dusty did that when he'd go home. Oh, shit. And be with Gold Dust. Well, Dustin. And he would wear like a, I can't remember, it was a leg brace or something or an Fuck arm in a sling. No, it was, it was when the, the horseman broke his, his leg. That yeah. was what it, fucking hell. So like. actually quite a lot of parallels, scarily enough. Yeah, I, I was just wondering like if you, your dad was the big, big, big star, if that meant that you got less of that bullshit, but it seems like you probably got more of it, yeah. you know? I mean, Ric Flair as well, like he wrote in his book about him kind of, ah, you know, I didn't get to see my kids, but I'd show up with the Road Warriors and the biggest Bugs Bunny doll you've ever seen. And it's mm. like, that doesn't make up for no. it. Oh, God. Just means that any time you spend with your kids gets to be fun for you, I guess. That's nice, isn't it? You get all the fun bits. You don't have to change any nappies. You don't have to do any of the, the boring stuff. And if you're Dustin, like, is it as simple as, I miss my dad, my dad's a wrestler, so I'm going to become a wrestler? Like, is, is that is that the path to get you in there, do you think? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But because, I mean, as you say, Dustin has sisters, so and they didn't become wrestlers. Yeah. So. I always find it kind of strange, that whole kind of like father, following in your, your parents' footsteps. Like, yeah. I, I wonder, is it kind of like a more of an older generation type of a thing? Like, if we're going to see less of it in wrestling, particularly now as the years go on, you know, of, of wrestlers offspring getting into wrestling yeah i wonder it's it's so it's so difficult to say isn't it you just yeah. you just don't know so dustin he got in quite early a young young kid i found out the earliest story of dustin breaking into wrestling and it's really sad his dad didn't want you know did the usual like no no son of mine you're never going to get into this business absolutely not no way never no son of mine all right get a referee shirt i'll see you down in florida we're going to do the show you're going to referee one match and that's it definitely that's wow. all now, Dustin, who was refereeing in the match, and he didn't even know that it was... <laughs> We've talked before about wrestlers showing up for their first match not knowing it's fake. Yeah. Imagine refereeing a match not knowing it's fake. Yeah, how does that work? I have no fucking idea. It's like, got to be awkward and sin. <laughs> wow. I guess you just go with the flow, right? Yeah. The wrestlers know how it ends. You just you tap when it's time. So Dustin, he's refereeing this match. It's some tag match. And he's going down to do the count, and all of a sudden he hears a shriek in the audience. And he's like, what's going on there? 
doesn't understand and uh, tore his pants when he went down for the cover. But not just any tear. I'm talking like Hal and Malcolm in the Middle on Bacon Day tearing his clothes. He tore from the crotch all the way around the back of his trousers wow. to his ass. And he was wearing tidy whitey underpants as oh. well. So his first moment in wrestling is his trousers breaking as a referee. Very humbling experience. That fucking hell. It's... Probably makes a lot of sense why his ego isn't too big. They tell you then, they break kayfabe just out of embarrassment. Like, it's all right, it's not real, it's okay, <laughs> you have to do this. I actually think every wrestler in the world should get their first start in wrestling like that. What, as a referee or losing their pants? Losing their pants. <laughs> just to humble them. Take them down a few pounds. Yeah. No, any any son or any son of a yeah, famous wrestler, definitely. maybe. Because they might have illusions of grandeur. <laughs> he works in the Florida Territory. You know, he, he, he has some moments there. He gets to be the, the champion like his dad was. But obviously this is in an era when the, the territories were quite small and all that. And Dusty gets his son eventually a job. In the World Wrestling Federation, which we saw, I still think it's really weird the whole father and son bonding through tag team matches and protecting your son from a beat down from the million dollar man and stuff like that. That's kind of strange. It's to very me. wrestling though, isn't it? That, that image of Dusty covering up his son because he for real thinks that he's been attacked and he's you know he's bladed and he's bleeding or whatever they don't want to see the blood on tv and dusty trying to cover up his son to actually protect him but also in kayfabe fake protect him that's amazing like yeah so just explain that again like how that happened because i think we covered that in the dusty episode so what happened was there was a beat down they did this whole angle where ted dibiase who's the million dollar man who could buy anyone he wanted to prove that Dusty Rhodes, the common man, could be bought out. And, of course, the common man can't be bought out like that, Daddy. So he started beating up the roads, and he beat up his son, and Dustin got cut open. He got blood for real. Was in, so he didn't blade? He didn't blade. He just got cut up. I think it was on the guardrail or whatever. And you're like not meant to bleed on TV in this period of time, because Vince is very, very you know family-friendly. Right. So they had the thing where Dusty went over. He's like, shit, he's bleeding. I'll cover him over. But, like, he was actually, like, protecting him. And Dustin tells the story where he's like, oh, it just you know, felt so good to have like, my dad there protecting me. And I was like, these are the moments I missed growing up. Now, that is... Oh. It's so fucking sad. It is. But it's also nice. So he has, a, you know, this, this feud with the Million Dollar Man. They end up on the losing end of it. Dusty leaves. He decides he no longer wants to be, like, performing regularly on TV just to be kind of a, a now and then. And he wants to go back to WCW where he can be a booker and do creative stuff again. As Dustin is leaving, now, there's a few versions of this we heard because in a version I heard, Vince McMahon turned to Dustin and said, you're going to go away now for a few years with your dad? And then you're going to come back and I'm going to make you a star. The other version of it I heard is, I'm going to wait for four years and they've made you a star and then I'm going to take you. And those are two kind of different vibes. Right. And who, who told these two different stories? Genuinely, I think one of the ones I heard was from Bruce Pritchard and one of the other ones I heard was from Dustin himself. Okay. But I, I, I don't really trust either of those people to tell an accurate I mean, <laughs> we, we should bring it up again here now, this alleged Rhodes-McMahon family feud. How, yeah. how do you understand it at the end of our Dusty F? I don't know. I just, uh, it's 
So a lot of people believe that Vince McMahon just has it out for Dusty Rhodes and wants to humiliate him and everything he ever stood for. And just like his entire purpose of being seemingly was to humiliate Dusty and like make him seem shit and embarrass him. And that the creation of the Goldust character apparently was to humiliate Dusty even more. This is the idea that the whole booking of his son, like, you know, me having your son, that's a fucking power play. How do you like that, Dusty? And I just, I I feel like I'm one of the most, you know, I love Vince in his own weird way. Oh, this is is the Mr. McMahon, Vince McMahon distinction now we have to get into. I I just feel like I'm I'm very quick to be like, oh, Vince is doing something evil. Mm -hmm. Because, like, a lot of stuff he's done is pretty evil. Yeah, he does a lot of evil things. He does a lot of evil things, and he does things that maybe aren't evil, but he does them in quite an evil way as yeah, well. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I just, I, I wonder at what point, like, how much of this is true and how much is just, like, Vince being incredibly selfish and egocentric. Like, I think he's doing things for his own selfish reasons because he finds them funny or amusing, and then it's misinterpreted as, oh, it's because Vince is evil. But I can't say for sure that that's the case. Maybe he is just evil. And <laughs> he's just there, this wicked man. Right. Stirring the... Like, I just don't think... Not that he's not clever enough. I just don't think he's got enough spare time... To be that. To do that. I mean, I think he does things that have vindictive qualities to But I think that's them, like an you know? after... That's like a, Exactly. A, yeah, an afterthought. That just happens to be... It's the fallout. The fallout, exactly. Yeah, yeah I just don't think... I, I think Vince is too self-centred to go around thinking about other people that much. And right, just to, to, to really remember this as well, Dusty Rhodes, the fucking king of hyperbole, and the shit that he's talked over the years, and I, I mean this endearingly as someone who talks a lot of shit himself, but like so much of the, the hyperbole of Dusty Rhodes, and particularly the, his his issues with Vince, is kind of like seeped into the ground of, of wrestling, and it's like, as a result, all these other kind of theories prop up from it. The idea that Vince McMahon is like, there's this son and this this wrestler. The most important thing about him is that he's the son of Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. And no matter what, even though Dusty Rhodes is coming into his 40s now and is no longer an active wrestler, I need to get him. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to hire this wrestler who is happens to be his son. He's also a really amazing wrestler, but yeah. I don't care about that. I care about the fact that he's his son and I'm going to get to humiliate this guy who doesn't work for me yeah. anymore. By not referencing the fact that he's his son, ever. It, it's a bit Changing weird. Changing his character entirely. In fact, masking the fact that he even is Dusty's son. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll get into that with Golda. So I just think it's very silly for people to think that Dustin was just this little pawn that was being, you know, thrown around because... You know, we've we've not really talked about a lot of nepotism in wrestling, mm. but you know, we talked a little bit in the bread episode about it, I guess. But fans, particularly back in the eighties were and seventies, were absolutely laser focused. If someone was coming in as the son of someone, it's like, okay, here we go now. Yeah, you know, there was lots of of names who have failed, like the big guy you know, Eddie Graham, who ran the Florida territory, mentioned Dusty Rhodes. His son Mike Graham, he had that same issue as well. The guy who ran the Oklahoma territory, Bill Watts, his son Eric Watts, exact same issue. It's like he is a really famous dad who books him, and then everyone's like, "Oh, this guy's not very good." Dustin got the moniker of the Natural at like age twenty. That's pretty amazing because he was so fucking good. And also, he didn't really look a lot like his dad. He's a fucking slim, tall, well-put-together, fast, athletic young yeah. kid. It's so easy to blur the lines between like what's true and what's not in wrestling. And I think that absolutely Dustin was a pawn. But only insofar as that 
eat all wrestlers are pawns to Vince McMahon. <laughs> I mean, everyone, yeah, everyone right. is a pawn to Vince McMahon. They're all pawns in the grand game of life. If all the pawns had daddy issues with the person yeah. playing the game of chess, yeah, yeah. that's. Kinda... I think it just happens to be that if you do have issues with your dad, Vince at least understands you a bit more than yeah. the alien life forms that don't have daddy issues. There is. Uh, like a loss to the fact that he had this moniker the natural because he's this young kid and he's been put in straight away when he was working in wcw he had a string of matches with like ricky the dragon steamboat wow you know, a young stunning steve austin you know they gave him the united states championship and this was when wcw was meant to be like the wrestling company and all that so, so. is he just being himself at this point yeah he's he's being like they reference the fact that he's the son of the american dream but he's the natural dustin rhodes and his thing is just that he is you know your typical WCW early 80s wrestler, you know, he's got the cowboy boots, but the the tights and the knee pads, you know, he's got a great explosive style of wrestling with big strikes, but classically trained wrestler, I guess. But he had that kind of, that speed and that fire that you wanted to see. Like, and that's what's weird about him is that, you know, he was someone who kind of felt a little bit ahead of his time in the 80s and the 90s. And then like, he kind of grew into the style of the time and, in watching his stuff recently in AEW, he hasn't skipped a beat. He's kind of kept up with the styles of the time. Yeah. And if that doesn't make you a natural, I don't know what does. Now, I wanted to find a match from WCW to show Joe, to showcase Dustin Rhodes' natural abilities. And I may have made a big mistake because... Yeah, yeah he did have... <laughs> Hang on, I'm about to blame you for this. Me? <laughs> I was like listening to all these matches that he had done. And I mentioned that just the, the brief concept of this match and your eyes grew the size of grapefruits when I said it. I said it's a king of the road match where they wrestle on the back of an 18-wheeler and you did say, and I quote, where I have it here, Ooh. So instead of showing Joe the natural skills and abilities of Dustin Rhodes in a math classic with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Oh, you never told me he was against Ricky though. I would have gone ooh for that as well. I only found that out after I showed you this match. <laughs> Imagine if this match had been with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on the back of a pickup truck. But no, instead we have Dustin Rhodes versus the Blacktop Bully in a King of the Road match. Blacktop Bully, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, same difference. <laughs> yeah, they're both legends in their own right. I, I'm sorry, I know you've got a very soft spot for Ricky Steamboat. I do, he's so cool. we got to get a match on Ricky done soon to make up for this. I'm very, very sorry. Um, Blacktop <laughs> Bully, I don't know if you recognise him. He did appear on a previous episode we did on, on our Patreon page when we were reviewing uh, WrestleMania 17, actually. Really? So he's some other silly gimmick guy. He actually also, funny enough, he appeared in our live episode of Silly Gimmicks at the London Podcast Festival. Is he the Repo Man? Yes! Yay! Wow! I didn't think you'd get that. I know. I'm I was like three minutes into this match before I remembered him was the Repo <laughs> Man. I just remember at the time that the Repo Man had this other gimmick as some kind of bully. Yeah, he's, he's had a lot of gimmicks. Yeah. The Repo Man also was the world's first and I believe last, no, no, not last, but he was the world's first evil wrestling golfer. Really? Yeah, Mr. Holen won. The CIA should hire him as a spy because he's so... You just He never looks the same, does he? Never know what you're going to get with the blacktop bully. Yeah, or he could be a one-man YMCA. Like, he could yeah. do all the different jobs. You know, <laughs> Repo man, blacktop bully. It kind of works, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. I want you, Joe, with all your skills and ability that you've gained podcasting all these years now... To explain to me the rules of the King of the Road match that, is for some reason, opened up WCW Uncensored 1995. So we have the truck 
and on the back of the truck is a big cage and in the cage it's kind of lots of hay and on one end of the cage there is a big horn and it's a very unglamorous looking horn yeah it took us three quarters of the match to figure out even what the horn was and where it was when you say to me like you're going to be in a truck and you have to ring the horn i was thinking they're going to go into the cab of the truck and be kind of like hey what are you doing in here like shut up old man yeah you have to ring the horn but no it was this kind of like it looked like something that you would get in a Christmas cracker that was blown up and then glued onto the side of the truck. It was like a klaxon. So accurate. And yeah, it was really shiny and looked a bit like an ear pod thing. It was very bad horn. Didn't like the horn. I did like the concept though of like if this truck was driving by and some little kid did the honk your horn hands gesture. <laughs> and then the guy was like, yeah, sure thing. Hang on. And gets out of the cab as to climb onto the back and, go, and ring this klaxon that's on the back. <laughs> ridiculous so yeah the the two wrestlers are in in this cage filled with hay and they wrestle and it's whoever can can ring the horn is it ringing a horn i think you have to you have to blow the horn to win the match but it's not blowing they don't blow it they, they just there's a mechanism that yeah. then they play the tape of a yeah. horn being blown somewhere <laughs> like they didn't think this through for lack of a better like th- this match as well the thing I was looking forward to most was how it was going to start because I was thinking like, are they going to do thing where like the truck is driving by and then like the guys like are like airlifted like come off a helicopter into the truck or like drive alongside it and get in? See, I know I think it should have been more like the Broken Skull Challenge where <laughs> I think that like, the horn should have been in the middle of the cage, but like on the top of the middle of the cage, and each wrestler starts on the opposite side. Trench warfare, exactly. Trench oh, warfare, but yeah. with a horn on a truck. And then they have to wrestle over who gets control of the horn. Instead, what we have is the pay-per-view starting. Shivani is there. Tony Shivani, who has... This is great. This is like... Tony Shivani is the perfect announcer to have in her first match. Because much like Dustin, he glowed the fuck up. And you wouldn't believe how good he is in 2021. (laughs) But uh, he's there alongside Bobby the Brain Heenan. They're opening up the show. And then they say, and I quote... We do understand that this match has started. And we cut to them already in progress... Somewhere in Minnesota is where I found out this was. It just looked like they were traveling through Lincolnshire. I've driven that road. Looks lovely, yeah. I bet you've driven that road a few times. You had a car accident on that road. Yay! (laughs) Well, it wasn't my fault, Joe. The blacktop bully came out of fucking nowhere. (laughs) It was unreal. That is the worst thing about driving through Lincolnshire is you can't... The number of times you get stuck behind a a pickup truck with a wrestling match going on (laughs) in the back. Oh my God, you hate that. There's there's actually a time where there was a a double-wide truck on the road, which it took me like an hour to get i was only going from spilsby to louth and yet still this was very intriguing like when they show me the shots at the start and they're like it's the wcw helicopter i was like oh i i was really intrigued helicopter is cool we don't have helicopters even now in wrestling we just have drones the helicopter sound effect while something is being filmed we had we reviewed halloween havoc 94 when they had the uh the monster truck challenge on yes, top of kobe hall and this this had that same vibe in terms of it's a you know you feel like it's a movie. Yeah. The problem is, great as the shot is, there's three of them and they cycle through them as Blacktop Bully really tries to make you believe that his arms can extend somehow. Like he's reaching and he's nowhere near that horn. Well, it's better than, than Dustin, who literally goes to the wrong side of the truck. <laughs> I don't know 
what he was trying to do. He goes to the wrong end of the truck. I couldn't tell where the horn was up. as a result because they kept going everywhere. Yeah, they kept going everywhere. It's like, well, where is the horn then? But it turns out the horn is at the front of the truck. Yes. Right where the camera guys are and the driver. But but no, Dustin tries to climb up the back of the truck. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to escape. I believe this is the first wrestling match ever with a police escort. Is it? I, I, I mean, there was a cop car behind them the whole time. Yeah. And there is a couple of moments where I think that the filming of the match, like this has clearly been cut a few times. Yes. There's some, uh, what they refer to as microwave interference uh, at some point in this. Classic. Classic microwave interference. We've uh, all been there. You're, you're obviously a media studies graduate. You've done lots of filming and things of that nature. I mean... How can I prepare for microwave interference? Should I be wearing a tinfoil hat when I'm when I'm filming? I mean, the way I have to prepare for microwave interference is to make sure that I've heated up my coffee before you start recording an episode <laughs> of the Ashton Deer podcast or else the microwave goes bing and then you're like, Joe, try recording here. Now, Bobby Heenan is, is here to do one thing tonight and that's to let you know that he doesn't approve of the Rhodes family lifestyle. He says that the entire 18-wheeler truck covered in hay is just like Dusty Rhodes' living room. He says it specifically smells. Oh, smells like, like Dusty Rhodes' living room. Okay. And then when Dustin gets a steel trough to beat up the blacktop bully with, he's like, oh, that's what Dusty and Dustin eat out of. Because nice. they're fucking pigs, I guess. I mean, I don't... Is that just literally because of Dusty's gimmick being the common man? Even though he's like a superstar at this point. Yeah, but he's like, you know, you got to remember when you're in WCW compared to WWF, it's less common man and more like southern, you know, cowboy boots, redneck. But like just because you're southern doesn't mean you live on a farm. I think that's says it's Bobby Heenan's meant to be the, the right. New York wise guy. Oh, and all that. okay. But case in point, this is after Bischoff has taken over and Bischoff was very quick to de-southernize WCW as much as he could. And I think that stuff like this and bunkhouse brawls, I think Bischoff wanted there to be less hay in wrestling, generally speaking. Uh, I like like hay in wrestling. I was just thinking, a pile driver onto hay can't (laughs) be the worst thing. Yeah, I I thought that if I was going to go for like a fantasy wrestling camp or something like that, I'd probably go for a King of the Road match because, or at least some sort of a hay match where... Yeah, that, that'd break your fall, the bump and all that, yeah. you know? I think it'd be all right. I mean, hay is a bit spiky, but it's, yeah, it's not the hardest thing. Well, it's got to be hard enough because we do get vicious hay shots from Dustin as he grabs the hay bale. And stuff. Like, this is the point in the match where I thought Dustin is like, fuck this stupid fucking match. <laughs> I'll hit him with hay. Big, like, own heart using popcorn vibes. I <laughs> think Dustin was having fun in this match. I think he was enjoying himself. I mean, it is... An absolute spectacle. Like, say what you will, is one of the most unique wrestling matches it's, I've it's ever true. watched. They have to stop briefly to let a church bus pass. <laughs> I, I like that. This I... is wrestling. Oh my God, Bobby, there's there's baby ducks coming here. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also a big, big twist later on when Tony speculates, there may be turns in the road ahead, brain. Oh no, turns. <laughs> get a fucking blade job in the middle of this match they start bleeding heavy i've heard of needle in a haystack but razor blade in a haystack hey what whatever next now that is going to be one of the worst places to bleed is on hay is i don't know yeah probably you don't get hay in there do you i don't know it just kind of feels like there's going to be something that's going to get in the blood that's going to make you sick afterwards bit of hay or something yeah or like i don't know a bit of slobber on it like some animals giving it a lick or something like that you know the way these cows are (laughs) (laughs) would it be too much of me to ask you joe as as a wrestling fan 
you know, and you, you've had opinions on, on blood being used in wrestling before too much, and you know it being used, you know, for for the wrong reasons. How much drama do you think these men bleeding added to the King of the Road match? Mm, nothing. I mean, I couldn't even tell that they were bleeding except for a, a slight smear of pink. They both got fired for this. Really? Yeah, great way to lose your job, you know? Fucking hell, you can't even tell. It's what That is going to be the worst reason, like the most underwhelming reason to be fired. What, as if that's what it needs as well? Like you're wrestling on a pickup truck out in the Lincolnshire walls. You uh, it's, don't... it's an 18-wheeler, Joe. So Fine, I'm... I don't know. I'm not some kind of car head. <laughs> And then what? What that they decide this needs blood. I will admit. I think that them being fired, whoever decided to fire them, is incredibly stupid. Yeah, o- almost as stupid as them deciding to bleed in this match. Yeah, you're drawing more attention to the fact that they bled by firing them. So we have more wrestling in the hay. Like we have a couple of moves they try. They do try and go for like a scoop slam, but they can't. They stop doing when they realize that their feet will hit the kind of <laughs> ceiling that they have in that. Bits start falling off the the truck as well. Now I didn't know if that was like planned or that was genuine road hazards as they were creating because bits fell off and started rolling onto the road. Yeah, I liked that. That was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> they did give us a few shots. In between of just like nice bits of countryside. Like we got like this nice country file B-roll more or less. Then we get a point where they try and make a big turn and they go off the road. And uh, that's an automatic fail of the driving test as far as I'm concerned there, you know. Yeah. Uh, the guys look a little bit like they're getting sick in the back and it looks like... You would, wouldn't you? It's hard enough to read a book in the back of a car, <sighs> let alone wrestle. wrestle a match in the I'll... back of an 18-wheeler. The match is like nearly 20 minutes. I bet you they filmed like an hour of this shit. Oh. And just rolling around in fucking hay, back and forth. At one point, there's a very perplexed-looking cyclist who's just at the crossroads, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, the match just randomly ends with a blacktop bully, and, I don't know, manages to somehow make his arms reach, finally, and, and ring that horn. It was a perplexing match, one for me, which gave me big vibes of, like, a St. Patrick's Day parade that kind of got out of hand. Huh. Just anytime I see a big float with lots of hay in it and, you know, men doing things, it's like, yeah, that reminds me of standing in the street in Mullingar being disappointed aged nine, a parade that I don't enjoy. Interesting. It reminds me of a May Day festival. Oh my God. Perhaps our cultures have more to offer each other than we realise. Are you sure you didn't have a big bread? <laughs> no, we didn't have a big bread. Okay. I'm telling you this. <laughs> so, Joe, the king of the road match infamous as it was and far be it from us to pass the opportunity to review an infamous match on our podcast how did you get on with it what is your star rating for this one i didn't mind this match to be honest it could have been a lot worse it could have also been a lot better in fact i want to ask you who would you put in this match if you got to do dream dream casting oh because mm. I think AJ Styles would be fun in a match like this. <laughs> yeah, if AJ though, he'd probably like, oh, all the Mario Kart elements in here. Like, how come there are no boosts on the road, man? How come I got no green shells, man? Like, I think AJ on the he he would want it to be a more competitive car. I mean, I'm trying to think of wrestlers who've had like trucker gimmicks. Nah, that's boring. Got to go with people who're going to use the environment. I'd say like Jeff Hardy. Ooh, okay, Jeff Hardy. I'm going to jump off the, the lorry, man. <laughs> I don't know if you could tell there was three decibels of worry in my ooh there when you <laughs> yeah, said ooh. Jeff Hardy. Ooh. Hmm. I mean, 
It's got to be Rand- Randy Orton is designed for stuff like this, right? <laughs> so just in 2021 where we are now, Randy Orton, it feels it's like he's the prototype. You've got to do any silly match. Like It's in Randy's contract. He has to do it. What about Randy Orton versus the Singh brothers? As just <laughs> an excuse to throw them around this <laughs> bale of hay. <laughs> in a, driving around rural India. <laughs> I like that. That's a good idea. Hey, let's get that, let's get that one in the, in the books. Yeah. I, it was interesting because... I think when we were watching this match, like the intrigue at the start was like, "Whoa, what are they doing here?" And then it was like, "Oh God, they're just they're just rolling around in yeah. hay." But towards the end, when it was like clear that they were, we had like the microwave interference and them like not being able to turn the fucking truck and all that, it got a little bit like a shit show and a bit crazy. So I yeah. kind of ended up enjoying it in spite of myself at the end. Me too. Honestly, I gave it a point for innovation and hey. a point for silliness because hey. I think it deserves both of those. And I genuinely do think they should do this match type again in pandemic times because you can socially distance two wrestlers out on the outside. Because it looks this good in 1995, yeah. you know? And you can actually do it properly cinematic now as well, like with proper camera angles. I think AEW should do it. It'd be oh, great. Oh, man. Dustin Baby, yeah. Black Tumpley. I don't know if he'll come out of retirement for it or not, but I, I'd love <laughs> to see Dustin do that against some young punk kid in AEW. That'd be, be fucking great. brilliant. So yeah, I gave this two stars. Two stars? I know, surprisingly high. That's good. I think, yeah, it's well-deserved. Could have been better, but it could have been worse. And they come back to Tony and Bobby, who look genuinely... Absolutely livid. And then for some reason, fireworks go off. But not not where the the truck is. It's like in the arena outside the ring. I don't know if an arena full of people in many states over with their arms folded has a noise or a vibe, but if it does, it's right here. Like It seems like a lot of people who are not happy with what they just just saved <laughs> a full room of marge simpson going mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's fired after that and wow yeah in spite of dusty be back in wcw it's not really a good time because dusty and dustin as we mentioned on our previous episode they had not been speaking at this point and not been speaking for a few years so what when this match happens or after this match by the time this match happened they were not speaking at this point oh god and do you want to tell people the reason is why they weren't speaking? As you understand it? So, as I understand it, Dustin had met his future wife, Terry, at WCW. They fell in love and they were going to get married. And Dusty was going to visit Dustin to play golf with them. And then Terry got sick. And so Dustin had to cancel last minute. And I think there was, you know, there was an issue of the fact that, like, Dusty had travelled quite a long way to come and see them. Mm. I think he had to then not see them. And I think it's it's complicated because there's... Mm. The one side of the story is uh, is Dusty's side, which was, oh, he cancelled and I had to travel all this way and then he never wanted to speak to me again. Oh, fair play, Dream. I wouldn't talk to my son for five years either. Like. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know if you explained it. Like, and then know. you have, like, the other side of the story, which is Dustin's side, which is, you know, my wife was sick. I had to look after her. I didn't mean it to be a slight against my dad and I'm sorry that he travelled far but I figured you know it was only a game of golf and then he never spoke to me for five years it was very difficult to find anything on the record from either Mm. Dustin or Dusty about specifically what had happened I think by the time they had started kind of talking a lot you know in public it was just like Dustin will talk about there's a few elements of this where Dustin he has 
you know, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever your thoughts on it, I'm not going to pass judgment, but his kind of approach to how he has kind of regained control of his life is he doesn't kind of, he's cut out the kind of the toxic parts of it. And if fans are asking him stuff about like parts of his career or troubling parts of his personal life, it's like, block on Twitter, I don't want to talk yeah. about it. And I don't know if they, there's a lot of people, a lot of fans I know who are like outraged by it, delighted by it, you know, troll him about it, you know. It, who'd have thought wrestling on Twitter is a bad mix? <laughs> but I did check out a shoot interview that Terry herself did. And Terry, she worked originally as a makeup lady for WCW. Oh, wow. And then she kind of transitioned from that into managing. And when she was managing, she met Dustin one of the nights at a bar and they just started hanging out. They had a good time and then they had a relationship together. And apparently, Dusty immediately disapproved. And she had this uh, reputation as being a gold digger. And I was like, gold digger? Why is this? Like, I've heard this so many times from people. Because like, we watched some of the spicy promos from the out chair with Jerry Lawler be like, you married that gold digger down in Georgia, didn't you? And everyone's like, gold digger? Ah, you married this gold digger. Terry's a gold digger. I'm like, why is it? Why is it for? I knew that she had had a relationship with Brian Pillman at one point. Right. Like, she had been with other wrestlers. And I know... An excuse I heard about it on Pritchard's podcast was, well, you know, wrestlers, it's a machismo business. Everyone's all, you know, tough guy. So if your son is going out with a woman who, you know, has went out with a bunch of different guys, it's like, oh, you can't have that, man. It's this kind of like bro code bullshit. And like, I don't, I don't, I didn't buy that. Because mm. where does the gold digger stuff come into that? I had to do a little bit of digging to try and actually find out. Not... Not a kind of alluded to, oh, vague stuff. Like, specifically, like, what was the thing that was the genesis of this gold digger thing and all What's that? What's your fucking problem, man? What's yeah, your fucking problem? Yeah, I just problem? wanted to fucking know. You know, it, like, it, it, it has made me so fucking emotional. Oh, really? It has, because, like, we've watched all this road stuff and watching that documentary and all of it. It's just, like, it's to me, it's still, like, one of the most heartbreaking things in wrestling that this father and son were like torn apart, not really by the wrestling business, it seems like you would think in the normal sense, just by fucking father and son not being able to communicate. Anyway, apparently Terry at one point had dated a man by the name of Stan Caston. Okay. And Stan Caston was a multimillionaire, highfalutin entrepreneur who owned a bunch of sports teams, including the Atlanta Braves who would have been the baseball team who were based in the same area where WCW was working out of. Now, she didn't, she didn't marry him or anything like that. They just dated. And just for me, Dusty Rhodes, who likes to write extensively in his book about all the highfalutin state senators and all that. Yeah. You, you might think that I'm the common man, but I ride in a Learjet and I eat, I've eaten at the Russian Tea Room with Bob Dylan. Like, he likes to talk about celebrities and that he's part of this kind of, like, you know, inner circle and whatnot, or, or he's part of this kind of upper echelon of society. So obviously Dusty had heard something through that world that he's in, that this guy, Stan Caston, was like bad news, or that Terry was bad news because she was going out as this young, you know, because Terry would have been this young 20-something and this guy would have been like, you know, in his late 30s or 40s or whatever it is. So ergo, she's a w woman going after a rich man, so she's a gold digger. So she's what? not allowed to be around my, my son. But now, we don't even know that she went after him. He could well have gone after her. Well, I mean, Terry said like that they they just started hanging out and they they were friends. And then that was you know they one night they had too much tequila and they stayed over and you know they had a relationship oh my after that. God, you know, and that's kind of that's for me is kind of shows a lot about like the double standard I guess in society and yep. especially in wrestling where like you know if a man does what what Terry does there it's like hey great you know it's not even like something even commenting on but Terry's this fucking 
predator all of a sudden. Like I don't know. And I get Dusty is super protective. But the thing that Terry also said in her interview was that everyone in the company, all the men, would all push his buttons about it. What, Dusty? Uh, Dustin. Oh, Dustin. So, you know, Barry Windham, who was Dustin's longtime tag partner and close friend, Terry said that he would mercilessly needle him about, like, oh, your dad, you know, is disappointed in you, or like, she's a gold digger, can't trust her, all that stuff. And Terry would say things as well, like, even though Dusty and Dustin's relationship had gotten better, like, the example she gave was that if Dustin had had a great match at a show, he would go in front of all of the boys at the bar afterwards. He'd slap him on the back. He'd hug him and say, I'm so proud of him. He's the best performer. He's the natural. I'm so proud of my son. And she said, though, if it was just the three of them, like Terry, Dustin and Dusty together, he couldn't even speak to him. Oh. You, you know what that, you know, what that kind of, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, okay, I'm getting it because what Dusty feels like he's, he's worked through it and he's not yet. And I think then he thinks that Terry is this like roadblock to him and his son. He's just finding an excuse, it seems to me, to be like, oh, well, that's it. You know, I can't have a relationship with my son. He's always going to not love me or respect my opinion. I'm just trying to protect him from this terrible gold digger. Wow. It's quite fucked up. That's really fucked up. Also, I thought... That's Terry's side of events, I should say. And Dusty and Dustin haven't spoken about it, you know. Considering that all I can get from anyone else is smoke and mirrors. And with this, I got, you know, here's the name. Here's the the genesis of this gold digger stuff and all that. What a bunch of bullshit. Oh, Terry. And also, fucking hell, Dusty. I expect better from Dusty Rhodes, who was so, like, in, in so many ways, trying so hard to be a modern person yeah, and respectful can... of of equality and diversity but yeah. no uh, from the same man tip my cap to a lady I tip my cap to a Jithabale on the street what it was was it made me realise that having the father son tandem on television as healing as that was no doubt to me it then realised with that whole kind of that public display of like I love you son all that like I, I feel like they worked themselves into like you know, a work, I guess, for lack of a better term, is in like that the father-son relationship and the bond became like a gimmick. And it wasn't actually, they hadn't, act, you know, they didn't yet have that ability to communicate and talk to each other. Because if Dusty was so fearful of, of his son, like, you know, just going out with someone, it's like, what's the problem, you know? You know what? It's It's really familiar hearing this. And I don't know if it's like a wrestling thing or a absent father thing or a toxic masculinity thing we get a lot of those last two things in this podcast yeah yeah. it just it reminds me of so many other wrestlers who we've covered like you know rick flair and charlotte like obviously they've got like a really healthy looking relationship when other people are around but when you see them just together it's awkward i refuse to let you remind me of that ride long i'm sorry i didn't even mention ride long i thought i'd just infer (laughs) that that happened but like similarly with like with jake roberts and he said that like when he was with his dad and other people, it was like a totally different yeah. environment to when it was just him and his dad. And it was very awkward then. Yeah. And even Jake with his kids, I know his his own daughter said, I find it really hard to be with him one-on-one because it's like he can't let his walls down. But as soon as other people are around, it's a lot easier. At the end, that happens like, with that, the isolation that comes with, with traveling and wrestling on your own and all yeah. that. Like, there's a lot of things that go into it. You I know? think it's easier for a lot of wrestlers to perform in front of an audience than when there's no one there and i just i i genuinely do think you know it's it's a it's a double-edged sword you know when the gimmick is i'm proud of you son yeah and then there's an issue and it's like the response to it is just to never speak you know five years that's a long long time 
And this is a tumultuous time for Justin in his life as well, because, you know, he's married now to, to Terry. He's off to pastures anew. He's, got, he's gone to WWF at the time, because Vince McMahon has rung him up, and he says he's got an amazing new character for him. And Vince rings him on the phone, and he's like, hey, I've got this idea. I want this character. And the character is uh, its going to be that of a movie buff and the greatest uh, movie creator of all time. And their award-winning performance they're going to put on, their greatest show is going to be within the wrestling ring. And this is their new avenue they're going to get into. And I want the character to be uh, androgynous. And also the character to have a golden motif. Dustin was like, yep, yeah, great, awesome. That's really, really good. And then he's like, okay, it's going to quick check on what that word androgynous means how do i spell it again <laughs> uh, when do you think vince learned the meaning of the word androgynous I, interest. I don't know and like that story has been told so many times like vince definitely did pitch the character as being androgynous i'm just wondering if vince like i know vince is very well read in his own weird way like it is Cereal a weird packets, way. mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Protein bar ingredients. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised if Vince for fun read thesauruses and dictionaries, yeah. like, especially as a child. Like, I'm not surprised that he has quite a big vocabulary. It's just surprising to me that he would use that word androgynous to describe this character of Goldust. And I do wonder if someone else told Vince, ah, you can't phrase it like that. You better use the word androgynous just so you can convince him because he okay. might not know what that means. <laughs> because I, for me, the word andro... Like, I don't know if this is like a common mistake or not, but like, I've always wondered if... Is androgynous the same as like ambiguous? Like gender or sexuality being ambiguous? So, yes, basically. it's Androgynous means you are you have partly male and partly female traits. And the idea being that you have physical characteristics of both sexes. So it implies like a mixture, essentially. Uh, yeah, a mix, basically. So okay. a, a blurred line. It's interesting to think now, when we're talking about this character, it's very worth bearing in mind this is 1995. <laughs> and you and I, like, we've watched a lot of vids online about kind of, you know, the, the culture and the media that we grew up with and how that, yeah. like, that homophobia was just kind of embedded into it. Oh like, my God, you know, yeah. It, and... No more so anything in our AJ Styles episode you know, we talked about just the kind of the ubiquity when we were growing up in the 90s and the, the noughties of people using gay slurs to describe anything from yeah. a bad person to a mildly annoying situation. Yeah, know? I think in that episode we spoke about how at the time the word itself, gay, was used to describe anything. So yeah, I want that all to be buried in mind. And I'm not saying that I want to excuse or throw away anything here, but I do want to kind of talk about how this character came about, what its original intentions were, and what it morphed into. Because Goldust is probably one of the most layered, complicated characters in wrestling history. I don't think it's because Vince McMahon sat down and said, you know what? I'm going to write here now one of the most layered, complicated characters in wrestling history. Like Adam Bibolo from the Attitude podcast, he's, he's guest on the show before as well. He said that he thinks that the character is on par with The Undertaker. And other people have said that they view it on par with the character of The Undertaker in the sense that it's if you write it on paper, what it is, it seems really silly. Yeah. And only a really exceptional performer could have gotten the mileage out of it and found the heart in a character that could have been pretty fucking heartless yeah what is it that you understand the original kind of goldust character and what vince meant by androgynous like because we saw some of these early goldust vignettes where he's you know wearing the gold suit in front of the hollywood sign and talking very 
breathily and whatnot. It's difficult because all of the concept art, and I have seen concept art for the original Goldust character, he he was originally supposed to look a lot more like he ended up looking mm. than how he actually began looking. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? He didn't have the blonde wig originally. That was added kind of early on, but also later on. That was yeah. like after the character had already been kind of decided on. And all the the, the sexualization of it, which I'm, I think was quite early on, but again, it wasn't at the very... It wasn't at the start, it no. It wasn't at the start, but... It, it's a very uh, it's a weird character because I kind of feel like it's almost made by committee like oh right like lots of different like you've got Vince's strange idea of the living Oscar yeah. and also then he's supposed to be like a movie buff and you've got Dustin coming in going well you know this is kind of strange but I'm gonna make it my own thing and it's very vague the you can't I don't think I don't think I could define the character of that early gold dust down to a single sentence it's weird that something that had so many ideas and so many kind of bells and whistles to it was also still kind of ambiguous and i think the ambiguity was because they didn't want to be coming out going hey everyone look at this character he's gay bet you hate that oh like ambiguous is like a very very it's it's the same reason why they felt they could be ambiguous with you know swearing and bleeding when they said that they weren't going to do those things anymore it's like vince mcmahon was the the king of the the soft walk back half non-apology and he would test the waters constantly this is 1995 as well this is not the attitude era this is as you like to refer to it, is that that lovely cartoony comedic time when it's yeah. like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and all the colourful characters and Vince McMahon going oh, <laughs> on commentary. So yeah, the, the original concept of it, Vince did want it to be like mainly about the movies. But like, what about the movies? Because that's the thing I've not been able to figure out at all. I, I, is he supposed to be a living Oscar? <laughs> so I, I, I remember... Like, it was like two or three in the morning. It was the first times I'd ever, like, gotten drunk in my life. And I was like two or three in the morning with my friend Paddy Hanna, who was like one of the main reasons I became a wrestling fan. And he knew so much about wrestling, and I always try and pick his brain. And I was just like, please, just what the fuck is, Go- what is it? Why is Goldust? And he's like, he just likes movies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so he just likes movies. Because, like, I don't, there's not much to do with his character that is about movies. So. The original kind of genesis of it is that he's meant to be this guy who is obsessed with the glitz and the glamour of Hollywood. Right, so he'd, you know? he would give these promos standing in front of the Hollywood sign, wouldn't he? Yeah. And he'd be all like, ooh, Hollywood. Ooh. <laughs> and then... He's thinking sound like he's Vic Reeves, like... Oh my God. Ooh, Hollywood, come back to my flash in Hollywood. He is like a Vic Reeves character. <laughs> and I know that... that Terry, when she eventually joined him as Marlena, she sat on a director's chair and smoked a big cigar. Yes. And it's funny as well that she also was kind of inspired by some of the kind of more androgynous uh, kind of golden girls of, of movies in the years gone past in the 40s and the 50s and whatnot. But I think the idea of that he was meant to be this guy who was this larger-than-life performer in Hollywood who wanted to take the the, the platform of, of the WWF and use it to create this new kind of uh, cinematic masterpiece, which would be him beating the crap out of wrestlers and becoming the, the greatest wrestler of all time. So it's just a match, but before it, he goes, I like movies. <laughs> and that's, I mean, 
the early, early Goldust, if you watch it, it's pretty awkward. Because he comes out and the fans really don't know what to make of it. I'm not surprised. And he doesn't have a lot of the, the mannerisms that he later gets. Yeah. Like, you know, some of the things that he would do, like, not to, to the opponents... But do you know, like, the main kind of thing that Goldust would do? How his, his taunt, I guess? I know he goes, like... <laughs> oh, look at that chomp. Hang on. There we go. <laughs> He'd rub himself and things like that. Now, the person who apparently... <laughs> you have to explain it better than he would rub himself and things like that. Okay, he'd rub his chest and there then he go. would rub his nipples in small concentric circles. And then he would shake his hips back and forth as he... You know what? It's so weird how, like, dusty it is, but in a slightly different way. Because yeah. he moves them hips, baby. He really does. But taking it from... Here's just this weird kind of androgynous character who dresses all in gold. And like it's it's interesting to see how like the, the design change as well, like the face paint change and the bodysuit change and all that. I think it like it definitely got more refined. It was Savio Vega, the, the Puerto Rican wrestling legend. And he was wrestling, I think they were in New York, but it was in this like really heavily Puerto Rican neighborhood. And Savio was like, look, we're in Spanish Harlem here. This crowd, I know exactly how to get them to react to you. Because Goldust was like, you know, I'm doing this weird character. My dad's not talking to me. I don't think it's getting over. Like he, he had a lot of doubts. Yeah. Terry said that he was in bits and pieces about the character. He did thought he was making a big mistake. He thought he'd just squandered his opportunity. He didn't think he was going to get over. And Savio literally in the match, he's like, all right, lock up with me. And then Savio grabbed his hands, spun him around. And he literally moved Goldust's hands around his own body. So he made, it looked like, you know, Goldust was groping him. And he's like, look at this. And everyone in the audience was like, what the fuck? The heat was nuclear. And, and Goldust was like, holy, okay. We, we got something Check here. Check it out. These people hate gay people. And they did it again. They went into the corner. And he's like, you know, touch my chest. Touch the chest. Like people were literally trying to jump the barricade. Wow. And, you know, I've listened to a lot of interviews with Dustin. He's like, whoa, man, what? Like, that's the thing. Like, he's an old school wrestler. And at the end of the day, he's always like, man, the heat. That was something else. But you were just tapping into a fucking live wire of mainstream yeah. homophobia there, I think. That then became the staple of the character. That the character was going to, yes, be this kind of movie-obsessed, weird Hollywood guy. But now he was going to start very, very overtly coming on to the men in the roster of the WWE. How come Savio was allowed to do that? Like, just decide the character's outcome like that? Like, how come... I feel so many times in wrestling, stuff like that is attempted, mm. and then they get yelled at by Vince, who's like, don't you dare try and change the character. Yeah, I think probably what it was, was A, the character wasn't getting reactions. Well, know, and then it suddenly it was. And then it was. Mm. And I think probably, you know, even though Vince wouldn't have said it to him, but I think he was like, the reason he wanted to do this character is because I think he would get so much heat with it. I think Vince thought... Why did he think he'd get heat with it without the... Like, what did he expect? I of... think he could thought he could be more subtle. I think he could just kind of very lightly imply it with this kind of golden head-to-toe man who really? wiggled around a little bit. You think Vince thinks of things could be subtle? No, I think what it was was people told him, you can't go this strong, probably. And then they decided, you know what? You and can. It, you can. We did it at a house show. It got over. So let's try it now on, on the pay-per-view. Oh, and like a lot of like when I started watching wrestling, Goldust was kind of on his way out. Like when I watched wrestling in 98, 99, where I first started, the character of Goldust was like 
there were allusions to this part of his character and he was called the bizarre one and he did like kind of sexualized things or he he had a lot more femininity to his movements than a lot of the other wrestlers but like i remember me and my brother when we watched this next match here and we were like holy fucking shit he's writing razor ramon love letters and tattooing himself and telling him he wants to ooze machismo all over him and rubber bodies up against each other it's pretty on the nose. Yeah, it's very on the nose. Like, I think it was when I got the Royal Rumble DVD compilation. We're like, hey, let's pop this one on. And we were fucking, we couldn't believe how on the nose it was. For night, like we would have thought this would have been in the Attitude Era when we were watching growing up. And yeah. now it's in this supposedly squeaky clean PG That's new generation. Mad. That's, yeah. So how many years before the Attitude Era is that too? Uh, one to two years. But it's still, it's, you know, this is January 96. So yeah, this is still a long ways off Attitude Era for sure. It just goes to show though, because I feel like there's been so many instances in this podcast of like, oh, I can't believe this happened before the Attitude Era. Yeah. And it just shows that like things were changing earlier than we realised. Oh, 100%. And I think Goldust... Like if yeah, I don't say he was a red flag for the outer. He was a golden flag, I guess, for what was going to come. But he stood out so much, and the the fans. I think the fans were used to seeing a um, you know, a more for lack of a better term, wholesome product. I guess like they reacted to this not with like I think like a lot of times you try to do something like this now that was trying to be like kind of like a bit offensive and a bit edgy and this will this will own the libs or whatever. You try to do something like this now, I think it would just make people not react in the like you see how the edgy stuff doesn't go down as well anymore. Yeah, but people here were frothing at the mouth. Yeah, I think it's because people now are a bit more clued up when they are yes, being like God. so much of our society now is about egging people on mm. for for hate clicks and stuff, and I think people are a bit sick and tired of it. Yeah, whereas back then it was kind of like. A bit new. <laughs> Hate purchase of pay-per-view, forty nine ninety nine. Yeah, get the Royal yes, Rumble please. now on Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we watched the video package that led up to this, and I showed Joe a few of the of the the segments as well of Goldust coming on to to raise the Ramon. And the one thing, the, the lone thing that we were like, oh okay, this is a little bit better than I thought was when Goldust originally wrote Razor Ramon a love letter, and then Razor Ramon read it, and he was like, "What's this, Chico?" So he does this promo and he's like, I just want to say, I don't like men. I like women, man. And I was like, okay. He's, he's, he's like, whatever you want to do, you do for yourself. Don't involve me. You know, it's kind of that like, all right, you know, that 1996 even handedness, yeah. I guess. And then like literally one or two weeks later, he's like beating him within an inch of his life. Mm. I had heard, and I told you I like that he had stiffed him in a few of their encounters. Yeah, and it really looks like this bit beforehand is where that happened. Like, there was some real savage punches being thrown. So they do this kind of like backstage thing where it's like, Razor's got over the edge and he's like attacking Goldust yeah, backstage. throws him into a wall and it makes a sickening crunch. Terry said, and Goldust has also said himself, that Scott Hall had massive reservations with, with working with him. And that Terry said that he was the only one who was like, basically if he had his way he wouldn't have worked with him and what the issue is that he didn't want to work with dustin or he didn't want to work with a character who was uh kayfabe kind of gay or he didn't like he wasn't comfortable with how it made him feel like there's so many different ways to like not want to do that and i'm confused as I, to I, do, I don't know what it is because the issue is there's also the issue as well where i i would have assumed is i don't want to wrestle him because if dusty Rhodes is like really upset by this and i don't want him to think you know this legend in the business or whatever that i'm 
taking advantage of his son's bad decisions by making money on pay-per-view with them or whatever and it is. Especially seeing as, you know, as we know, Scott Hall, who is Razor Ramon, he, he goes to WCW after this, which is yeah, where right Dusty after. which is where Dusty is mm, currently. Yeah. So like yeah, that would that would also make sense. I'm not I don't want to make excuses for him, and I think homophobia is definitely tied into it, but It wasn't made clear to Dustin. Yeah. That's the thing. And he he you see glimpses of it in this match. You see glimpses of it in that Hollywood backlot brawl as well with, with Piper, where he's trying to immerse himself and throw himself into this character and lose himself in it. But now and then you do see that little bit of like, is it almost like a fear in his eyes or he's like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, yeah. you, know, you can tell that the weight of this gimmick and the expectations to do something so different and something that is upsetting a lot of people. Like it's, it's clearly like, it, it, it is having an effect on him at this point, you know? I mean, it would do, wouldn't it? I mean, for one, it would other him in the locker room. A lot, like, that alone would be hard, I think. Mm. Like, the, the uh, sheer amount of homophobia at that time, plus that time in wrestling, and you're sharing a locker room with a bunch of, like, fearfully heterosexual, toxic masculine men who are, like, all, no homo man. I mean, like, Dustin, the benefit to him, I guess, was that with this character, there was such a clear distinction because, you know, I think whenever we watched Wrestling with Shadows and Brett's like, Goldust does this kind of like a gay panic type of a character, mm. but he's just a regular old redneck and we all like him anyway. You know, so I think he had the benefit of being like kind of a clear distinction, but like that doesn't mean anything if there's people refusing to work with you anyway, you know, and particularly high profile people. And this is probably like his most high profile match at this point from the Royal Rumble 1996 for the Intercontinental Championship, Goldust taking on Razor Ramon. And I love as well that they use this as the opportunity. This is the moment they debut Marlena to come out. And you have all of this stuff with, with Goldust, him coming on to Razor. And then at the last moment, it's like, oh, here's this beautiful, glamorous woman who, like, wrestling marks knew, hey, that's his wife, Terry. We know that for real. But, you know, the wrestling fans are just like, why is she with this hot babe? Who is this woman? What did you think to, like, the tandem, like the team of, of Terry and Goldust together with as Marlena and the director's chair and the usher and all of that. Oh, I loved it. Their entrance is fantastic. It's so cool. It is, I think, my favourite entrance in wrestling. It's. I mean, I totally get the comparison to The Undertaker. The entrance so is definitely good. comparable. The music, I think it's one of Jim Johnson's yeah. absolute best. We actually got tweets from people who were like, this theme song got me into classical music i'm really? like i want to hear more music like this and they got into classical music as a result of it play mist <laughs> we all come across so much of that music and when that page was torn from my book razor well if you find them all maybe you'll uncode my message <laughs> great now we're stuck in this book forever <laughs> but like the the lights the, the widescreen presentation. This was another thing that Vince had when the concept was coming out. He wanted it to be like the Oscars. Yeah. Like the greatest show type of thing. You know, this this big Broadway style, old Hollywood production. Everything is gilded. They're literally, they're raining sparkles from the yeah, air. Yeah, and the the lighting is so fantastic. Like it's, it's kind of everyone's cast in shadows. Like Razor and Goldust both have gold lights when they come out and yet it's still it's such so a different, different look. Why yeah. is it different? I didn't get it. Like. I, I think it's, Something to I, I I'm not I'm not technically minded enough to know about lighting terms, but I think it's something to do with like the fact that the glitter provides more 
points of light. And the sh- like, it's the fact that you see these like golden figures emerge from shadows yeah. is so cool. And like, there's just that mysterious, there's that inherent mystery there when you've got like Marlene and Goldust. They're so unlike anything you see in wrestling, even now. You're always asking there to be like different types of people in yeah. wrestling, and like Marlena, like for your prototypical, like she is the prototype of like what Vince McMahon and wrestling business want in a woman. She is a she's a petite blonde woman. She's very buxom. Yeah, she is tan. She's got you know brilliant white teeth, big bright eyes. Like she is the perfect you know bikini model that they want, and yet she has this character that's meant to be this kind of. No, she's going to wear these long, elegant ball gowns and this, like, big cigar. Like, she said herself she wanted the character to be androgynous. That's really cool. Like Goldus. I th- Wait, why do people don't seem to get that leeway with their characters anymore to do something I, that interesting? I, I don't know. I, it was something that was, like, it was so apparent to me when Razor made his entrance as well. It's just, like, I know we, we refer to this period of time as being cartoonish, but I I mean that in, like, also the strongest sense of the term mm. like you could get a child to draw any of these people and you immediately know who it is they're yeah, drawing absolutely get a child to draw anyone in like on raw right now and good luck working out who is who i made for kevin's birthday i made a version of guess who <laughs> yes i was wondering if we had to talk about this and <laughs> in it i only put in the most generic looking white wrestlers from wwe and all of them have long hair and a beard so it's well, like except for the women obviously yeah there's like <laughs> three or four women in there who happen to all look identical yeah as they're well. all blonde good luck telling lana and carmella apart with guess who as your basis no <laughs> is it jackson Riker or elias or buddy murphy i just don't know <laughs> <laughs> whereas like this you you know, they they are so it is like watching a cartoon in that mm. they've got a strong look that is consistent with their character there is often been talk that this match is like it's, it's a the strongest example of like the gay panic version of Goldust character and like using that mainstream homophobia to elicit a reaction from the audience there are shrieks from the crowd and there are some chance that we think we get a points which looked like they didn't muster up enough energy, but let's just say people did chant gay slurs at, at yeah. Dustin plenty of times, and nay, screamed them at him at other times. Heck, wrestlers managed to get to cut promos on live TV calling them uh, gay slurs as oh, well. Oh, I'm not surprised. I bet Vince loved that. You know what? I, and, and knowing what I know about Vince, I do wonder if he was spreading dirty rumours backstage like about, about Goldust or Dustin being like, oh, well, I saw him looking at your bottom when you were bending over, pal. Oh, what? Like, they wanted to like, lead into Just the stirring, ambiguous thing. stirring the shit. I mean, like, there were other wrestlers. I mean, like, there was a bit we saw where he did mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on Ahmed Johnson. And Ahmed Johnson wasn't apparently told beforehand. And you've never seen the sight of this angry, powerful black man from Pearl River with a little gold mark around his lips <laughs> flipping the fuck out because he's been kissed without his consent. Like, you know, it's... Uh, it's a dangerous timeline, and I think yeah, that's worth bearing in mind. Like, even though like kind of wrestlers would have said, "Oh, I don't have a problem working with him," and then like, well, you know, how comfortable are you? Like a lot of wrestlers, I think that it was a very, very thin line here. And yet, Razor is apparently uncomfortable with this, and then we've got Razor spanking Goldust. <laughs> I, I I like this. I like them doing this kind of tit for tat thing. Like where... now, who's flirting? He's he's a big flirt here. He's a big flirt. They have, like, you know, Goldust, like, touches Razor a few times, and Razor's, like, furious, and then Goldust starts touching himself, and then you have the Razor doing the big spank and all that. So it's kind of like he is trying to egg Goldust on into just 
act. He's like, just fight me. Like, just fight me. And this is like what the Goldust character is meant to be about. It's meant to be like the excuse is like, it's mind games. Yeah. Because they say explicitly later on, Goldust isn't gay. He never was gay. It's all mind games. He's always just playing with you in, 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 in your head. He would use your fear of his sexuality or of his androgynous nature and he would use that to get inside your head. Like, like the Undertaker would make you think he's actually dead. He's not actually dead. Wait, what, really? Yeah, I know. But it gets, you know, hey, that's that's cool and all that. But it's like, you know, if you're a gay person watching it at the time, you know, it's, it's, I, I couldn't imagine, like, you, you what your reaction to it would have been. Yeah, like, because I'm, don't worry, because he's not gay, obviously, because he's a good guy. So he's not gay. I'm pretty sure, you know, any time I talk about a wrestler that is like... You know, someone found the heart, like the performer found the heart in it, and the, it means more to the performer than the kind of the original heartful origins of that gimmick. And there's yeah. a lot of those gimmicks out there, but I think it usually is is like, well, were there kids being beaten up on the playground being called that wrestler? Oh name? my god, absolutely and, yes, and there probably was. Yeah, no, there definitely. You know, been. and that is like that is part of the complicated legacy of this character. I think, for for lack of a better term, Goldust hiding behind Marlena, like you know. That that is like again like they're they're trying to like make you out like he's this like kind of like wimpish type of a character, but like he is put over as a threat once he actually starts you know hitting his moves and wrestling within the ring itself. How does he uh, strike you as a wrestler? Did you like his kind of like his moves? I loved his moves. Yeah, he's a he's a good wrestler. I totally see why he was dubbed the natural. Is that more versatile than his father? Yes, definitely. <laughs> and just the way he moves is like. It's not even like someone like Jake Roberts, who obviously is a very gifted wrestler, but doesn't do very much. Yes. He doesn't do much until he does. And then mm. suddenly like, bam, out of nowhere. Explosive yeah. is the word, I think. Yeah. I was amazed at the restraint of Vince McMahon on commentary. And this kind of is what led me to believe that this is just a character he wanted to do. And he thought Dustin was the performer for it. And it wasn't just a big rib. Like, if it was a rib, they'd be mentioning Dusty Rhodes. Oh, yeah. You know? And they'd be mentioning how, how appalled he is by his son doing this to him. And yeah. Like, imagine if you were Dusty Rhodes, you'd be spitting in your cowboy boots and no trousers if you saw <laughs> what was going on. Like, it feels like they don't want you to know that he's he's Dusty's son here at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, he doesn't look like him. He doesn't have the same name. It's... Literally, the only similarity is the word dust. Fun fact about that. Um, you know the way we found out that Dusty called himself Stardust? Yes. Interesting. Dusty did call himself Stardust. Like, it was his moniker he gave himself a few times in promos. Now, it was one of these things that I thought was just a mistake that had been made. Because I listened to a few interviews with, with Goldust himself, with Dustin. And he was he was told, hey, do you know your dad used to use the Goldust moniker a little bit back in the day? And he's like, no, 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 no. That was Stardust. You've made a mistake. And everyone's like, oh, okay then. But I did do more research and more digging. He did actually, he had a set of boots or tights that had gold dust written on them. And he did use it, not calling himself, but he did use gold dust as like a term in yeah. his promos. What I think is interesting because Dustin also was the original American Nightmare, which Cody also then took the moniker of. Ah, the Holy Trinity. It's all tangled up, isn't it? Maybe they're all just time travellers. Well, you see is the song Tangled Up in Blue with about the complicated nomenclature of the <laughs> Rhodes family gimmick joke. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, when we get the sleeper hold here, this is when I was officially like, okay, too much, guys. I can't, uh, I can't really defend or describe this too bad and too much. This was when he got in a sleeper hold and Mr. Perfect started going, he could do anything he wants, uh, McMahon. I thought you were referring to how bad the sleeper hold was because 
It was pretty bad. Yeah, Stone Joe Steve Austin over here, who uh, absolutely does not like a loose loose headlock whatsoever. I just know, you know, I can't, I don't think I can do any wrestling moves except for a headlock. And I'm very confident I could do a better looking headlock than that. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. You know, please don't put me in a headlock. I know I've put you in the figure four on this podcast, but like... I don't know if my arm would go all around your Let's head. try. Let's see. I thought you just said, don't put me in a yeah, headlock. Yeah, but then there was the challenge of, does my big head fit in your okay, arms? Come here. Let's see here. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, that fits. Yeah. That's good. It's interesting. Ooh. Joe does a, a nice snug headlock, folks. I can confirm for all the attendees. It has to be uh, snug because of my little arms yeah, and your true. big neck. Look, <laughs> guys, those of you who can't tighten up them holes, just find an opponent with a larger cranium. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Perfect, Owen, he's put him in a sleeper. He can do anything he wants, McMahon. Mm. Anything he wants. And classic case of Vince McMahon not listening to what was said. He goes, well, they say anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. No! Vince! Not like that. I tell you what I love about Goldust. Mm. And I I love about Dustin. It's just those punches. He's got the big wind-up... He does those kind of uppercuts. I think because he's got those gloves always, it makes a big slap. I don't know. I think it's something to do with his big arms. He's got really long, big arms. Garbage scooping arms. Garbage scooping arms. Yeah. And I think something to do with like, he's got more, I don't know, more momentum yeah. with which to do it. And I love it. He's got big hands as well. Big fucking shovel hands. They're yeah. un- unbelievable. We do get great bits of where Marlena literally blows gold dust in, uh, <laughs> in Razor's face. Oh, that would really hurt. We get not one, not two, but three triple gloop punches. I appreciate you were pointing this out for me, Joe. I'm always uh, hunting out for gloop and wrestling. You know, it could be the next pipe bomb for all we know. <laughs> we have Marlena feigning an injury. Uh, more of that acting coming into play. Interference by the one, two, three kid allows Goldust to pick up a win and the post-match celebration between Goldust and Marlena where they lean in for a kiss. And they just lick. Lick, 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 lick. Yeah, I just I love it. They're kind of like they're they're hot as hell, but yeah. they're also kind of creepy. Yeah. Like I get it. Like I really I I absolutely no, I really like that. I think like the the pairing of these two is absolutely like you know husband and wife, like you know two people in wrestling who came together, and this is completely outside of what who they are in real life. These are characters that they're playing, but they're deep. Like that's that's when wrestling is its strongest. When you have a character that seems really deep, and they're like, "Well, we're just not telling you. Like, we're just kind of being mysterious a yes. little bit here. That that's like magic, you know. Yeah. That's good stuff." What do you think of this one though? This was a this was a, a hard watch in some respects. I I will admit. Yeah. But also probably the blueprint for this is like black tar heroin gold dust. I guess. I mostly enjoyed this match. I must admit, I didn't like the finish. Um, mm. The stuff with the one, two, three kid running in, like Marlena twisting her ankle, and then Razor does like a move on Goldust. And it was then, a long time. Yeah. yeah, and then the one, two, three kid runs in while the ref is distracted. They're just like. I think I don't know if it went out of order or if it didn't happen the way it was supposed to. For or... me, it's like if you're debuting a new manager who's interfering, they should be then the reason why the person yeah. picks up the win. I think the extra interference, like like very often happens. And this is like the issue with with interference in the grand scheme. 
so many times we come back on this podcast, we watch a great match and this random ass interference happens. You're like, oh, you should have done that on pay-per-view for your big match. You know? And just like, did, so what, did Marlena know the one, two, three kid was going to interfere in this match? Is that why she did it? They I, all I, timed it up beforehand. Did they have a secret hand gesture? I guess. I, this, it just makes me think about it too much and I don't like that. Joe, anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Mm. Even that thing you just no. said. <laughs> I mean, it was a fun match, definitely. And there was some good wrestling, definitely. Ray- Razor was, he was snug. Snug, yeah. And I don't I, know if he was, it doesn't like he was wailing on him in this like he was in that backstage bit. No. But there were a few bits where I was like, okay, that is... That's snug, yeah. That's a, that's a snug old punch there. And I, I mean, I, I really like Razor as a wrestler mm. and I, I'm really enjoying Goldust as a wrestler so far. It's, and stylistically as well, I just love this era of wrestling. Like mm. the lighting is so good. The camera work is fantastic. And uh, your favourite commentator, lest we uh, forget McMahon. Vince McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> So I gave it three and a half stars. Nice. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pro this match. It was fun. So after this match, it was meant to be Razor again at WrestleMania, but Razor decides to, I don't know, go and cause that schism that caused wrestling to break into two separate timelines as he went to WCW and started that whole piece of work. More on that in our Scott Hall episode. Go check it out. But of course, Roddy Piper did fill in the, the blank at WrestleMania 12. They had that legendary backlot brawl that was equal parts OJ Simpson chase, they live, and just old school wrestling. I wanted to bring up this kind of thing they did then to try and peel back the layers on the character of Goldust. They did these like sit down interviews with JR. And the idea of it was, was like, okay, who is this guy really? Because we've kind of skirted around the issue. They've kind of like had a year or two at this point of this Goldust character, which is just kind of like, I think the right word is a conflation of drag queens cross-dressing transgender you know the the data term that they would use like and oftentimes in the interviews and stuff to describe him as a transvestite and it was just kind of like they didn't really know i felt like what they were actually doing with the character particularly because they were going so ambiguous now with having marlene and having them be super close and all that and they did this interview with marlena where she literally was like just so you all know he's not gay Oh, and another thing. And she's got the big cigar in her hand. Like, he's all man. What does that mean? As in, he's got a big old dick. (laughs) And everyone in the crowd are like, yes! Yes, it's so great. Like, they literally did a bit with Jerry Lawler where he's like, aren't you, you know, come on. Queer? And he's like, no! And the crowd erupts like him. Like, it's the biggest face turn ever, him being like, I was just being ambiguous. Fucking hell. But they do these interviews with JR, and this is where, like, they get to the heart of the character, where it's like, why is he Goldust? And I, I'm in mixed minds about using the real life trauma and all that, but they kind of did it where it's like, I couldn't live in the shadow of my father. I had to do something different. I had to become something different. So I became Goldust. And then he literally had a bit where he's like looking into camera and it's like, you know, I've not spoken to you in like three years. I just want to say, I love you, dad. And I'm sorry about anything that's happened. And I, I want to make you proud. And tears streaming down his face. And it's kind of sad because then this face version of Goldust that's meant to be like, oh man, but he's still dressing up with the old gimmick and Marlene is there. Like it didn't really get over. People just kind of like, you know, they liked him and all that. And he was struggling with, starting to struggle with some issues at the yeah. time. Felt They brought his little girl in, Dakota. She oh. was like three years old or something oh. at the time. And like some of the sweetest stories I heard from Terry are like, well, you know, you might not think it's great to have brought a kid onto wrestling, but 
Dakota had like 37 uncles at that time. Yeah. Because you know, she's like, Shawn Michaels was playing Polly Pockets with Dakota all the time. And you know, like, all these wrestlers just wanted to help out. You know, this beef house, like all want to <laughs> raise this little girl together. We then get from that uh, a heel turn as they have him break up with Terry on screen. And they were actually going through some some issues themselves at the time. Oh. And Dustin was having, you know, issues with drugs and his his weight as well. I don't know if you noticed the fluctuation in his weight between yeah. the different eras. And I think some of that is probably like his, his drug use and all that, that can mess with your metabolism, but also Dusty's son. I think he had some of those genes where you're, you know, you're just more likely to put on weight, I guess. Mm-hmm. You were very intrigued when we saw glimpses of the artist formerly known as Goldust. I love it. So I went back and we saw a few of the bits. Like what was the, we, the, the, the coming out, so to speak of this character where he's brought out in chains by by Luna. <laughs> yeah, he's literally brought out um in like a he's wearing one of those ball gags mm. and his face is all green, he's got spray painted red hair and he just looks like this JoJo stand. He looks like <laughs> so like interesting and weird. Like, the ball gag is the stand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. It's so unique. It's so... It's almost like a modern day drag character. Like, in the way that they've become very experimental and artistic. I liked the idea that because he had, like, broken up with Terry and his heart was broken, he felt the fans had turned their backs on him, that he got lost in his creativity. Like, he got lost... He's an artist and he wants to express himself. And Luna is this, like, enabler where she's like, well, you're, you expressing yourself is the only thing that's important, so we got to make sure you express yourself. And he'd wear these really bizarre character... These character creations. He, he wrestled as dream dust which was a version of dusty roads and that. of course the main thing that ruined it was as he came out to the ring like mocking his father openly they're like folks just want to tell you wwf official got off the phone with a american dream dusty roads earlier today and he he got a great kick out of this and he's not offended at all he is a hundred percent given his approval for this segment i, I like, mean they can't lie about that right yeah, but that, that's the, the character is meant to be lost in the fucking in the realms of his imagination yet they're like just so you know this bit he's doing here it's cool with his dad like the idea of someone like trying to like win their father back by like becoming more like just like i don't know i'll be more creative i'll be more experimental i'll do more things more things now the problem with it i my perspective is that it kind of turns into him just gimmick you know imitating people and dressing up as them like we didn't get to see him be sable dust he was Marlon Manson Dust. Dusty Dust is still the best, like name gimmick. It's got the the black marks under yeah. his eyes. Like some of his like his ring gear that he wore was just like I like that he wore these really weird color combinations and like you know, he dyed his hair different colors. We saw him as a Christmas tree. I loved the Christmas tree. <laughs> that was great. Like, that that for me is like. I think performance art is something that can always get heel heat. And Dustin Rhodes insisting that as the artist formerly known as Goldust, he is allowed to read out A Nightmare Before Christmas in a high-pitched voice while dressed as a Christmas tree. <laughs> and Luna slowly hangs decorations on him. That's so good. You all have to pay attention. We did find him in blackface, though, during this period oh. as well. Vince Russo strikes again. And Because uh, there are a couple of instances where I thought he was in blackface and then he had like writing on it and it was just like, yeah, he's just doing 
He's just doing wild colours yeah. and patterns and stuff. But then he, when he wrestled a black, he wrestled, I think, Flash Funk, who's oh, okay. a black wrestler. So. He came out with a big afro, sunglasses. Definitely blackface. Uh, one of several characters in wrestling to do blackface that year. Has so. um, has he commented on that since? Has he apologised or said I've, maybe that I've was not found any, I've not found anything about it. Wrestling doesn't seem to want to confront its use of blackface, but mm. lots of people, uh, lots of people in wrestling have done it. Howard Stern as well, by the way, folks. Uh, Howard Stern. Yeah, blackface. I'm not surprised Howard Stern done it he's not apologized for it either so i i you know uh, justin trudeau is one of the few people i know who's apologized for blackface uh wrestling doesn't seem to caught caught up to, to that bit yet the problem i have with watching the artist formerly known as is i know that he's struggling a lot in real life there right. around that time and you know he there was a point in time where he asked vince mcmahon to get breast implants and this was used always as Vince would always bring it up as like kind of a can you believe this guy like ha ha these crazy characters. I bet Vince loved it. Imagine the restraint Vince had and showed by not immediately just being like yes. Like Russo in his book Forgiven about being a great Christian and like such great Christian values you know that he mm. extols even to this day. Uh, when he reviews Raw getting high. <laughs> such great Christian values that he, uh, he, 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 he virtuously shows us. He was like, this is when I realized that my power as a creator had gone too far. Because he was like, I, I had me- I'd messed Dustin up with this character. And now he was all screwing in the head and wanted to get breast implants, bro. And like, Dusty, Dustin thought he had to do it to stay relevant. Mm. And like, that for me is just kind of sad. Because he's such a natural athlete and he's yeah. so much to offer that he didn't need to do that. No, you know? it's... it's- it's horrible to think of anyone ever thinking that they need to get breast implants for any reason other than like they themselves want to do it for themselves right yeah obviously if you want to do it that's up to you but like needing to do it i feel is like that is a bit sad and and it's like it's it's surgery you have to get fully anesthetized and it's it it, there's there's risks involved it's not something you flippantly just do for fun or because it would be funny or silly or hot or whatever it's like it's a massive decision you have to undertake yeah and i just kind of feel like you know as a he, he by his own admission he was a very straight guy and also like did he actually want boobs like is, is, that, like, is that part of his body that he wanted to, i don't know yeah like it's it's just it's such a bad reason to get something like that done and i can only imagine the body dysmorphia he would have given himself i mean he's, he's by his own admission he's your know, straight shooting uh texas redneck he is playing a character gold dust is a character it's not who he is but it's showing you again like well like his whole life is blurred in at this point with yeah. the character and all that and like that if, I mean, the amount of drugs he was probably taking. Mm, yeah, there yeah, were. It's, it's no wonder he was probably. And, and yeah, especially as well. Like, what year would this have been? The time he wanted to get the implants, it would have been like kind of like later into the Attitude Era. So it would have been like 98, 99. So, yeah, peak time for edgy. I mean, it would have been effective. Yeah. You can't blame him. Like, you can't say it's like a bad idea in terms of like marketing power. Like, I think if many people had gotten wind of this that have gone yes great fantastic made a lot of money off of him and then he'd probably been you know rejected and and left by the roadside when they decided it was boring and too creepy yeah it was one of those another somehow even more another sad chapter in his life they have been taken advantage of in the wrestling industry i think like what for me was always really strange was that by the time I was watching in the heights of the Irish era in 1998, Goldust, I don't want to say he was like, a, you know, forgotten about, but he was such a smaller part then than he was kind of before, like 
for a character that was so edgy and like broke all these barriers and you don't do that on TV. And then we're in the era of literally, this is the era of you can't do that on TV, folks. And yet Goldust kind of struggled to get a look in, really. You know, he he went back between Justin Rhodes and being Goldust. You know, he, he burnt the Goldust costume and then became like this born-again Christian, like right-to-censor prototype. And then he wore the costume again and then you know he started hanging around with the blue meanie and blue meanie became blue dust and it was just like that sounds like it was great the blue dust stuff (laughs) i love blue dust it led to probably one of the worst matches i've ever seen in my life which is blue dust versus gold dust but like it was sad because it was clear that he had went through three or four moments of being like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm feeling less motivated now. And then like, oh, we got something new for you. And then it's like, all right, let's do it. And then it doesn't work out. And like, oh, we have something new for you. Like Russo seemed to always have ideas for him. But Vince McMahon always seemed to be of the opinion that Dustin Rhodes was never going to be a main adventure or anything close to it. Wow. Which it took him a long time to get the platform to prove it. But the man can headline a pay-per-view. You oh, know? yeah, absolutely. But I guess there's a difference between headlining a pay-per-view and being, in Vince's eyes, uh, a top star. Yeah, he did get to feud with The Undertaker briefly for the championship. But, you know, it was he was always kept, it felt like, at a certain level, mm. you know, as, as his peers you know, were, were kind of going past him, essentially. So he does end up, he goes back between WCW and WWE multiple times. I think he has six stints in WWE in Ooh. absolute total. And forgive me if we're not going to go exactly blow by blow for <laughs> every beat of his career, because we'll be here for a million years. I did want to talk briefly about when he went back to WCW in around 99 or thereabouts. He embraces with his father. They they patch things up. You know, Dusty's not really on television that much anymore, but they have patched things up. All the same while, Cody Rhodes is a little teenager, a little kid at this point. Dusty, father of the fucking year, apparently. He's there every little league match. Every Cody wins two high school wrestling tournaments. Dusty's there every single match he makes it he coaches his son's high school football team like dusty wow and i just wonder like that's got to be like the relation between cody and dustin i think they've come a lot closer in recent years they're half brothers of you know dusty had remarried that's got to be tough right oh yeah and i think it goes a long way to show how mature dustin is as a person because mm. i don't think i'm a big enough person to have responded as maturely as he did to that. Like, I think if that had happened to me, if I, you know, my dad had like gone off and started this other family and like given my sibling the childhood that I dreamt of having with my dad, I think I would hate them and resent them forever. I mean, you know, we both come from one sibling households. You know, you've got a brother, I've got a brother. And I don't know about you, but I remember counting potato croquets and you know shit like that you know siblings can get petty and all that and i think yeah to your point it it showed a lot of maturity that he was able to do that the character that he's given in wcw which is another legendary misfire and it just shows you like how many personas the man has had in his career and how many things that have happened to him that would probably have been the death knell of other performers i want to talk briefly about seven please if we can Seven, who was shown in a series of short vignettes, appearing in the window of a young child, saying that he was coming to get them. Now, this was apparently not something that Turner wanted to have on their television program, because it gave off slight child abduction vibes. I mean, I can totally see that. But I would argue it's... that's. I mean, it's poorly done. 
for, yeah. for, like it has great potential i loved the whole idea because I, I interpreted it more as he's going to steal the dreams of the child i think that's what they wanted to go with yeah, yeah. but when you're in the window of a child going i'm watching it's yes. yeah i mean yeah <laughs> it, it certainly would it's certainly something that even back then it would have taken a herculean amount of it's, good faith to believe it i love the weirdness though of him being like because the character design is great yeah, you love the entrance we watched I that loved the entrance. I, I loved him outside the window and then the child looking out of the window and the child's eyes go black it's so, so creepy i love it it's, it's really so scary fucking weird like eric bishop like, i've got this great idea i think we should bring a child abduct you know what i mean like you know and his eyes go all black because there's like no soul there anymore you know what i mean i think of it more as like the bfg but like an evil bfg no don't take the bfg instead of taking the the children's nightmares and dreams and bottling them he's stealing their dreams and then i don't know what happens to the giving them weird eyes giving them weird eyes yeah so yeah seven debuts on nitro flies to the ring and then lands in the so ring much. and goes look at all this crap i'm wearing <laughs> And like this is the bit I hated as well about him is like this is when he's been used as a pawn. Yeah. Right? Never mind the dusty dust and stuff. The, the dusty dust and stuff is, as far as we're concerned, is done now because they've reunited, they've embraced, they've yeah. they relationship again here. This is when you have you know the likes of Russo and Bischoff playing tennis with the with the character of Goldust. Oh, I hate being this stupid Goldust gimmick because Goldust sucks, man. Let me tell you, Goldust sucks and Seven sucks. And I just want to be me because everyone's keep telling me to do these stupid characters that I hate. I'm like, I don't know. He probably did hate Goldust at that point in his life. And so I'm confused. So was that... He wasn't supposed to say that then. That wasn't scripted. It was. It was like... It was a worked shoot. It, the idea was that in... The TV show, they wanted the character of Dustin Rhodes to be like, I don't want to do this stupid gimmick. The reality was they were told, you can't do the seven gimmick because it's too problematic for I TV. See. And it's okay. like, well, we've already got the rig and the hash, so we might, right. we might as well have them do this bit here. Like, in fairness, don't begrudge them if they've got the rig and the hat, lads. Now, yeah, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he has a, a bit of time in WCW where... He teams up with his dad, but again, it's a period which is marred by a couple of absences, more issues with drugs. He, of course, is split from Marlena at this point. Terry and him are no longer together. So it's a dark period in his life, for sure. He does return to WWE in 2002 at a pay-per-view that we actually covered for Pay-Per-View Classique. Oh, yeah. Royal Rumble 2002. You know, when they brought back Mr. Perfect and The Godfather. They they brought Goldust out first so he could do the big flamboyant entrance. So that, for me, was my first introduction to proper Goldust. I remember being captivated when I saw him there because he had slimmed down. He looked great. He was all mysterious. And again, you know, they was only going to be there for one night. He did such a good job. They decided to hire him and bring him on for a full run. He's there for a couple of years. He had a lot of different mini feuds, but the one I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, and one that just, oh boy, brightened my day when I watched it with you. Like, this is Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon levels of pure wrestling happiness, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Uh, I'm talking about Booker T and Goldust, the unlikely tag team. So funny. I love these two so much together. What were some of the segments that you uh, remember between these two guys trying to be a, a tag team? I mean, there's a, the classic one of 
Booker T being dressed as a lumberjack. Because <laughs> having a lumberjack, <laughs> match, a lumberjack like, match. Obviously. Like. And then there's Goldust dressed as Darth Vader. <laughs> he, he tries to convince Booker T that he's his father. Like. Yeah. Uh, that bit I love particularly because Booker T's like, I don't like none of that Star Wars crap. What are you doing? And then he gets the lightsaber. Like, <laughs> and he calls himself Obi-Wan Book Kenobi. You're a fan, Book. I know you are. <laughs> This literally filled me with joy and appreciation for Booker T that I had not felt yeah, in years. Yeah, considering my only <laughs> my only impression of Booker T, as everyone no doubt knows at this point, is that time he said that all women hate each other, brother, on commentary on like <laughs> yep. the first pay per view I ever watched. Yep. And he's like, he's struggled to come back from that ever since. But this went a long way to kind of like get him in my good books. I didn't realize he could be this. Not just funny, but genuinely good at acting. That's it. It's like there's there's funny. And like in wrestling, there's there's this rarity which you get, and I think it's so perfect when it happens in wrestling when someone just has the comedic timing, yeah. And they give them just the space to let them do their stuff. When Booker T and Goldust are in the Seven Eleven, which has to be one of the greatest promotional bits I've ever seen, because they're there technically. The the end game is hey, we want to plug that there's new slushies that have got the wrestlers on Oh, them. that's very effective. It is, because Booker T comes in. And I tried to explain to Joe that Booker T's character was that he's paranoid that he's not as big a star as like the likes of The Rock or Rob Van Dam or Edge. And he comes in, he's like, oh, you must be sold out of all the Booker T Slurpee Cups, obviously. They didn't make any Booker T there. <laughs> and Goldust is there with a hot dog, with a, like a, a Lakers jersey and a cool hat going... He's in disguise. <sighs> like, him being in disguise, but still being like rubbing himself going... <sighs> That is what I loved about this era of Goldust, is that they took some of the weirdest, you know, the kind of the sexual stuff from that gay panic version of the character, and they just made him this kind of creepy guy who loves movies, but like is always kind of putting people on edge because he... I don't really get how he loves movies. I still haven't seen any of that. Oh, well, we had Booker T and Goldust at the movies. Remember they reviewed the Scorpion I mean, King? I guess, but it seems like Booker about... T we like loved movies as much as as. Goldust yeah but Goldust was there talking about how the Scorpion King reminded him of like Fellini and stuff like that which was was great like and like they had all these comedy segments and the idea was that Goldust just wanted him to be a partner because he thought that they had this unique energy together that they could be the greatest on-ball tag team of all time and Booker T just didn't want anything to do with this gold freak and Goldust was like you know come on man we're friends we're practically married come on you know (laughs) They did finally team up and like them becoming a team and them finally winning the tag team championships is like really heartwarming stuff. That's a story I think that is evergreen in wrestling. Yeah. The oddball tag team. It's so good. It just reminded me of, of Kane and Daniel Bryan. Yeah, same thing. Like yeah. One guy does the one, one guy does. They clash, they butt heads in the match. There's this kind of arguing and bickering. But then like all it took was Booker T to be like, Oh man, like that was because Booker T's character, he's a bit of an idiot. And he was like, you know, once him and Goldust started winning, he's like, he he loved the guy. Yeah. Like, you know, and they were friends. The other thing I showed you from this time was the heartbreak of, you know, they split up as a team and Goldust gets beaten up by Randy Orton and Batista and they electrocute him. Ah. And then he develops Tourette's. And I thought this Even was... though they said it's not Tourette's. Oh yeah, they went out of their way to tell you that it's not Tourette's. I don't know, this thing was like so like... This is like, ah yeah, this is why re- I didn't like wrestling at this time. Because anytime they did something heartwarming like this, they'd come back the next week with something fucking stupid like this. Yeah. I don't know, I didn't like the sit-down interview with JR and he's like just making noises and going... Yeah. He did this for years as oh, well. Oh, how boring. Like, Goldust, you know... 
he had periods and he said many stints. He would come back and they wouldn't even explain. Oh, he got electrocuted in 2003, I guess. It just he'd be like, hey, he's there talking backstage in 2009 going. I'm like, yeah, he did get comedy out of it. And, you know, he would make these silly noises. Yep. We watched that Howard Stern no. clip. He's there 20 minutes, man, in character. Yeah, and then someone from, like, the Tourette's Council or something. Yeah. He's, like, a representation of the foundation. He's like, uh, excuse me, I think this is, like, really misrepresentative of Tourette's. And, and we're then... trying to get in touch with you and WWE. You won't return our calls. He's yeah. like, it's not Tourette's. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, lads, seriously? Yeah. Fucking cringe. But again, like, he th- he threw himself into that. He did that gimmick not... He would... Anytime he was doing, like, you know, promotional stuff, he would do that whole gimmick, you know? And it's real shame because on that Howard Stern interview, he's wearing an immaculate golden black smoking jacket that fits his face paint. I'm like, oh really? Oh man, it looks so good. Why you got to waste it on yeah. this shit? Like him know? being in character as Goldust would be perfect. You don't need the stupid ooh ooh thing. It's like he's interesting enough without that. He has so many bizarre qualities. Yeah. He didn't need a tenth one. As him well. just going. <sighs> Every so often would be fine. Yeah, that's you don't need the other stuff. Like that, that's like that was it with the Booker T and Goldust stuff. Like the amount of times where Booker T like puts his hand on someone and then it turns around and it's Goldust and he's going like that made me laugh every time because why does this weird golden man need to? Do, I don't know why he's <laughs> he's not coming on to Booker T. He's just doing this weird thing. It's that, like an involuntary just like thing that he just does. And he didn't like this fucking oh man yeah and on it went you know. He left the company later on that year and he entered into, by his own admission, one of the darkest periods in his life. And this is probably a period of life that if we talk about this, you know, and and it gets back to him, we'll probably get blocked on Twitter, you know, because we're going to talk a little bit about Black Rain now, which was the gimmick he did in TNA. And the gimmick was meant to be that he had played all these different characters. He'd been the natural, he had been seven, he had been Goldust, he'd been the artist formerly known as, all these different permutations. And now his he his mind was shot and this darkness inside him had taken over him, this persona he didn't even have control over anymore, and that was meant to be black rain, all the hate in his heart, all the darkness inside him. No, geez, just saying it there, that sounds like a pretty cool gimmick. Yeah. No, I I know this is okay, now this is my hot take. I think Blocked it's Blocked you. <laughs> I think it is a cool gimmick. I I like it. I mean, I don't love it. I don't think it's the best gimmick ever, but I don't think it's the worst gimmick he's done. I love the gimmick of, like, we saw a little bit in our McFoley episode where he didn't know who he was anymore. It's yeah. Like, I've been all these different people. What do I do? And it was, I think. And was... I do like that it genuinely is a combination of all of the other weird characters that he's done. The problem is, is that he's a. God, I have to believe the worst ring gear I have ever seen in it my is really fucking bad. life. But it also is kind of a combination of all the other ring gear that he has worn throughout like, his career. So. Literally, his ring gear looks like if you ordered a Goldust outfit off of Wish. You get that instead. Like, <laughs> or Alibaba or something. It's way too big. Like, no one's body is shaped like this. What are you fucking doing? He looks like he's dressed as a juggalo. Oh my fucking God, Give he does. Give him a big can of Fago. Yeah, you're right. He does. <laughs> and like, even things like, he wears the black wig and it's this really shit, ratty, crappy. Oh, I love it. Oh, it looks so bushly. It does. But then... That, I like that. I like that it looks bushy. It makes it all really creepy to me. The fact that it looks shit. Yeah, now this is it. Now we've watched all these promos where it's all creepy and, you know, you were telling me like he's, you bought this kind of, because he seems so genuinely distraught. He's he in does. fucking tears. He seems broken. And he is at this point. He's yeah. in the worst drug use of his life. 
he is you know he said he was like he was like renting like a garage and even have his own home he was mm. just like that was the thing there was a point in time where he said he was just selling everything like he was just selling things just so he could have you know more money to keep going and he yeah. was on this kind of non-stop binge basically in this period of time and yeah that brings out in the character it's a little bit heartbreaking to watch black rain if you know that and we have all this darkness and all this build. And then we, I was like, look, we'll put on a bit of a match. This isn't one we're going to review in full. We did put on the little shop of horrors match between him and Abyss. And he came out with the rat and you were like, oh, the little rat missed. And I was like, all right, well, is that undone all the darkness now that he's come out with the cutest critter in wrestling history? <laughs> he has a creepy little cage for the rat. I like the cage. I mean, you were asking me, like, oh, well, a rat, though. Like, you know, we've, we've talked about animal welfare and live events as it relates to the Road Brothers before. Cough, cough, yeah. look at you, Cody. Hey, if there's a pyro there, our, our dog will be there to see If there's pyro anywhere happening, our dog will be there to see it. Don't worry. Don't forget our horse. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, and that goat as well. Oh, Let's yeah. forget that. That was worth it for the pun, though. That wordplay was just simply too good to turn <laughs> down. And you asked me if the rat would be okay. Then I go, well... Like, a rat probably would have slightly higher tolerance for stress than most of those other animals. But if it is stressed even slightly, it would be pissing all over him Which the entire time. Which just adds to time. the character. What, Black Rain smells like rat piss as yeah. well at the top of him. Do you not think so? Don't tweet him that, Jesus I'm Christ. I'm not going to tweet him that. <laughs> I'm telling them at home, just in case. <laughs> is it true that you smelled of rat piss when you did this gimmick you had? <laughs> like, the bits we saw with him in Abyss... He was moving slow. Yeah, he looks like an entirely different human. He looks like it looks like someone else playing. It honestly could be like just an entirely different person being like, "Yeah, I'll take over for you." Doesn't matter. No one, no one will notice, even though they definitely will notice. It's I, not you. I figured I could have like, I, I, if I'd really picked my clip selectively, I could have like tried to convince you this was someone else and not. Oh him. yeah, definitely. I think if you just shown me that, I don't think I would have known it was him. It is like easily the darkest point in his career mm. you know and he wrestled only for a few months under the gimmick he had awful entrance music awful ring gear i love the entrance music Seriously? yeah is it him doing a rap i couldn't tell it's like him doing scream metal <laughs> i think i'm pretty sure it's him i love it it's really shit and it sounds horrible and it just reminds me of like b movie horror films mm. And I, I love that because like I don't think you get that very much in wrestling and it feels really authentic and the fact that like he's genuinely and genuinely in this horrible place right now like emotionally mentally physically it kind of adds to it like mm. I know for a lot of people that probably makes it hard to watch but yeah, for me yeah makes it makes it hard to watch for me for sure for me it's almost the other way around it's kind of like well if that's a that's a healthier way of him coping than other things that he could be doing like was it cathartic that's the thing I've always wanted to know but I don't want to get blocked by him on Twitter so I've yeah. always wanted to know is, is was it cathartic did it help you get through whatever it was you were going through at the time because if it did if it did even in the slightest way then it was worthwhile doing in that sense mm. and look for a man who's had a career that spans four decades 80s 90s yeah four decades his career spans crazy like everyone's allowed a couple of road bumps on the way and given what we've talked about so far you know it's amazing we didn't get something equivalent of black rain a lot sooner than we did i just i would take black rain over the weird tourette's thing or the gay panic thing any day Really, yeah. yeah. Kind of, it, it's probably aged better than those other it things. Because <laughs> it's actually easier to explain, probably, and easier to forgive than some of those other things, you know? Well, because, like, Black Rain, it's only really hard for him. 
Like, it's horrible what he's going through, but it's not, like, offensive to other people. What what kind of, like, rung a bell with me with this was when I was, I turned to you and I was like, you know, they would do these things. He, he had these long feuds with people like Abyss, you know, these hardcore wrestlers who do all these hardcore matches. You do all these bloody brawls. Like, in the match we watched, there's rat traps. His hand gets caught in a vice. You know, it's those things where it's like, you know, he's gassed. He can barely get left up. And yet he's like, throw me off the stage. You know, that kind yeah. of thing. Just <sighs> break my body. You know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. And you were saying like, well, it's probably what he wants, isn't it? Like at this point, you know, it's just kind of like, it's almost self-destruction in, in, yeah. a, in, a, in a different sense. I can see why he doesn't want to talk about it ever. I don't know how healthy it is, his relationship with the character now. But mm. there's no denying his relationship with his family, his fans and his life and his wrestling career is a lot healthier now having cut this out of his life. So who are we to say any different? So he- when you say he blocks people for talking about Black Rain, as in like he blocks anyone who says anything about Pretty it? Pretty much, yeah. Or as I in mean- people who criticise or people who say it's good? Keep or- in mind now, like this was like thing that was a trope a few years ago at this point. Like I'm not sure if it's the same case. Now I don't everyone speak for what, you know, yeah. some their wrestler did. I'm saying in particular if it's an action they take on social media. Like, God, I fucking change my attitude to social media every other week. Like, yeah. so... Yeah, I don't know if it's the case now. I just know that there was a long period of time where it's like, you mentioned it, he will block you. And right. like, there were a lot of folks who were like, having had a lot of laughs at the expense of Black Rain being such a shit character and something that was very easy to mock. Because yeah, I, I, just, I, I think it's a very different thing to block people for making fun of a character that was an embodiment of your darkest time in life. Yeah. There's a big difference from, between that and people being like hey i love that character man block yeah i mean that's the thing there's people who are saying like it was it was that but then there's also the thing where people are like i'm just going to go and say to him i really love the character and like for him like you know there's no tone of voice on on, on oh Twitter right like i see and i hazard to guess as well folks you know for me and my background the podcasts i've done in the past there's plenty of wrestlers who i whose careers i've mocked and iterations of their characters i mocked they just don't happen to be very active on social media and i don't happen to be the type of person who goes and tweets them i say hey i thought you were shit you know <laughs> it's 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 kind of it's it became its own kind of thing i guess right. like and the fact that black rain the character can't seem to now be divorced from actions the performer took on social media a decade later says a lot about how it's just a bit of a clusterfuck i think yeah. you know but i mean i think we have some tweets about that we'll talk about later because i think there is a little bit more to talk about that black rain character he did get checked into rehab wwe you know had that offer that was there uh, which was anyone past or present can go into the rehab and like the really sad thing was like he was basically you know dusty and his his family were like right you're going to be going into rehab we're going to come get you and he was like i remember forget the day like i literally loaded up as many pills as i could have as much i i literally filled up. my body with as many intoxicants as i could before they put me in there because he was so scared about just you know getting sober and starting so over. he's gonna make it really hard for himself by like basically overdosing on his first day and then going cold turkey yeah, fucking he, he fucking hates himself huh like he did come back for a few stints and you know he was a return and a few rumbles i do remember him coming back and kind of going like i'm happy that he's back but like he doesn't look like he's like i remember there was a return one year he came back and he didn't even have the full he just had the wig on and the old gold suit so he didn't have the robe or anything i'm like and he didn't look like he was in great shape and i'm kind of thinking all right i don't think I want this to be the guy they rope out. Like, hey, once a year, here's Goldust. Hey, he's back in the Rumble. You know, they do with some of the older legends. Yeah. And he was into his 40s at this point. I thought, well, you know, that's going to be it for him, right? You know, Mm -hmm. surely that's going to be it for him. He did transition into working as an agent, like as a producer, which, 
know, if you start being a producer in WWE, that's pretty much their way of saying you're retired and you won't be wrestling anymore. And that's like a death knell for a lot of wrestlers. I remember oh, yeah. that's like kind of a real dark moment for so many people in wrestling. Jason Jordan, I remember when I found out he's he's a backstage producer. I was like, okay, he's not a wrestler anymore. Yeah. That's kind of it. Tyson Kidd, when he became a, a backstage... And these are people who suffered career-ending injuries. But Goldust was just kind of like one of those people where it's like, nah, you're going to be... You're going to be a producer now because you're over 40 and that's kind of what you're for. He got fired from being a producer as well because wrestlers did an unsafe spot in a match that he told them to do. <gasps> really? Yeah. Because I remember, I can't remember what we watched, but we watched something about Goldust and he, it was like known that he, he apparently thrived as an agent. Like he he's really, so creative. he's so creative. Like apparently it was like, it was the first time since he had stopped taking drugs that he actually had found something to fill that hole. Yeah, that got him back on the straight and yeah. narrow because I think that the issue is with wrestling and if it's painkiller addiction and all that stuff that's tied up and the road and the partying. I think he needed to get off that lifestyle and just be like the office guy or whatever it is or be the producer. He did thrive as it, but yeah, he told them to do, it was like the primetime players, which is Titus O'Neil and Darren Young, if you remember them. They did like a it was like a powerbomb combo thing off the top rope with a neck breaker. And the guy they did it to, Yoshi Tatsu, he flipped a bit too much and he landed on his head. Now everyone was fine, no one actually got okay. hurt. But it's like to kind of teach the producers a lesson, I guess he got fired. Right. That's a bullshit reason to get fired. I mean, I don't really understand I don't feel like I can say that's a that's a bad reason to get fired because like it was really dangerous. But also, I feel like that stuff happens a lot in wrestling. It does. It happens all and the time. People don't get fired. I don't know. That's a tricky one. I don't know if I can speak on that. See, yeah, it's for me. It's like things like this are not a, a, a fireable offense until they are. Mm. You know, it's like being being ble- you know getting blood when you're not meant to do blood on TV. Like I remember there was one time uh, Batista wrestled. He got a six figure fine for bleeding on TV. It's like, is this the rule? Apparently it is. Give me a house worth of money, yeah, please. Sometimes they just want to make an example out of you. That did. It's Vince McMahon making examples. And I think, yeah, God forbid that Goldust or Dustin Rhodes is, is given an easy ride at any point. You know, God, Lord, he hasn't suffered enough. Oh, you really need to bring him down a peg or two. His, his ego's a bit big, isn't it? You know. So we cut to now to 2013 and a match which was overwhelmingly the most requested match that we cover for this podcast and one which happened just before you started watching wrestling as well. So I was really excited for you to sink your teeth into this. We have this amazing story of the Rhodes family battling against the authority. The match itself is the Rhodes brothers, Cody and Dustin, taking on the shield. It's Seth and Roman with Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, in their corner, and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes in the corner of his two sons. Now, the little promo that we had before this, and we had, like, Cody was getting fired. They bring back Goldust to try and win his young brother's match back. You know, they, they tr- threaten to fire Dusty Rhodes. This stuff for me, I got I got pretty emotional you watching did. this. You did? You started crying. Yeah, I cried at the end, not okay. at the start. All right, at the end. <laughs> the story to you, like, did you think they did a good job of, like, tying in, like, hey, the Rhodes family, let's bring them all together as characters on the screen? Mm, pretty good. I do feel they could have done better. Like, I feel like I got more context from you than mm. I did from the actual vignettes beforehand yeah it's, it's weird as well they're here, here they are in the the Rhodes family hotbed of buffalo new york like <laughs> yeah lots of cowboy boots and buffalo i'm yeah. sure and there are so many 
little things that are said in this match on commentary, little lines that are dropped here and there that just like, I don't know, they made my bones rattle. They were so like strange to hear. Michael Cole saying that Cody Rhodes is the future of sports entertainment. Oh. Not WWE, Joe. Sports entertainment. Sports entertainment. Uh, speaking of Cody, I hate his whole outfit. He looks like The Miz. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when we get to this. I don't know if we can address the uh, the, the the elephant in the room. Vis a vis, Joe Graham, not the biggest fan of of Cody Rhodes, no. the, the American Nightmare. Uh, this may may come out. This may bubble to the surface at points during this match. I tell you what, they were pretty harsh about the family on commentary. Some of the things that they were saying. I don't know if you heard like where they were saying like Dusty Rhodes. He never he was never there for his children growing. Yeah. Like, not as a heel thing. They were just saying, it's like, you know, well, guys, Dusty Rhodes, he just wasn't there for his son. Ah! You don't get to say that on a pay-per-view. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, um, uncomfortable, to say the least. Plus, we have a moment where Dusty takes his belt off to, like, beat <laughs> Dean Ambrose, and then they're like, I hope his trousers don't fall down. Yeah, I mean, that was literally Vince McMahon saying that through his vessel, a.k.a. JBL, the empty, <laughs> the empty vessel. And I did catch an interview with Cody where they were like, the writers and the producers are going up going, can you make sure that Dusty doesn't take off? He's talking about taking off his belt. Just, we're worried his pants are going to fall down on TV. Just don't, don't do it. And Dusty's like, I'm going to be your huckleberry. <laughs> I'm going to take off my belt. That man could work a piece of leather, let me tell he you. He really can. It's so cool. It's uh, honestly, one of the most impressive things about Dusty Rhodes, I think, is how he can, he can work that belt like a proper bulwark. Oh, I mean, it's it, the whole, like, the strap under that belt is like, it's an extension of his body, basically. Yeah. It's unreal. Hey, we got to talk now. We talked about how Dusty's looking, how Cody's looking. The man himself, Goldust. Oh, he looks fantastic. I, I still to this day, I cannot believe how good he looks. I think watching the Black Rain stuff and then watching some of this, he looks good. His voice sounds clear. Like that's the one. The, you know, the wrestlers get that old, like scraggly. Like I've done too many bad things to my. You know that kind yeah. of. The voice just goes. It happens. No, you know? instead it's the other way around for him. He used to have that voice, and now he's got this really nice voice he's instead. Got this beautiful, crisp voice. Yeah. Oh man, the bit in the promo beforehand where Cody's like, "We may not be the most typical family," and then Goldus just pops in and goes. <laughs> <laughs> like I just I I love I love the look I love that he's got the black face paint mm. with the the gold bits on the sides the bodysuit he's long and lean wow it's DDP yoga as well was what he did I looked up how did he what how, what helped it him was get DDP back DDP yoga yeah huh. and that's funny because you know I was saying that he reminded me of someone I think it is DDP he reminds me of oh, like those long, long legs lean. yeah. Check out the flexibility in Dustin. Where he's come to in 18 months. It's incredible, man. That's amazing. I'm so happy for him. Doing DDP yoga. Oh my God. DDP, once again, changing lives. That is unreal. That is so, so amazing. Because here's a guy who could have just said, you know what? Look, I've had a long career. I've done all the things I was going to get to do. Like, grand. Let's wrap it up, right? No. Here you are, 2013. You're in your mid-40s. Sorry, you're in your late 40s. Let's go. Let's fucking let's do it again. Like let's let's have a run. Why not? If Chris Jericho can do it, why yeah. can't you do it? And this is like Goldust after having probably the match of his career at that point against Randy Orton a week or two prior, and here he is now having the match of his life. When they get him in the ring, oh my god! Whoa. 
he carries this whole match, which is saying something considering he's with Cody, who I may not love as a human or a wrestler, but he is very gifted. You've got Roman, Seth and Dean, again, all fantastically talented. But the veteran, the general in the he ring. He is carrying it. He oh. is doing all the impressive moves. Everything cool happens to him or is done by him. How do you get faster? Like that, like he is. It's like he just his speed stat increased. Yeah. Well, it's DDP Ogre. He's just he's just increased his cardio, I guess, his and stamina. There were loads of little things that they were doing in here as well, like making everyone backstage very happy. Like when they were working over Roman, every time they got anything on Roman, it's because it was two on one. They had to, like, they couldn't be on Roman unless both Rhodes brothers worked together, because Roman's the fucking man. Like, <laughs> and I just I love big that. Dog. <laughs> the big dog, man. It was a trip seeing him back yeah, here. Yeah, very weird. Very weird as well. <laughs> when we got that hot dust to gold tag, let me tell you, he runs wild. The speed he's doing moves I've never so seen quick. him do before. He moves like AJ Styles. Like he's yes. so quick and he does all these like flips. It's amazing. Yeah, Cody does the moonsault and yeah. he's like, let me fucking show you brother who's nearly 20 years younger than me or whatever. And off he goes with this fucking amazing flip off the top yeah. as well. He's like a poster child for motivation as a concept, mm-hmm. I think. Because that's all it is. It's just motivation. That's all that can be that gets you to the point where he is after so many years. You know, like, it's, it's so funny. These wrestlers have had careers like a quarter of the length of him. We're like, wow, they've really come together now. It's fucking four, nearly 50. It's yeah. unreal. Age is just a number after all. Roman, uh, at this point... In the match, to slow things down, he gives a nice little cuddle to uh, to Goldust. And it's, it's one of those great moments when you're watching a match and you're like, you know what? I think we should do that as a nice spoon at some point. It was very, very good. Check this match out if you want some spooning ideas. <laughs> not too tight on that headlock. No. The commentary team start telling us how these brothers have absolutely nothing in common. And Michael Cole, I don't know if you caught this, he's like... It's different for Cody, you know, because Dusty was there for all of his Little League games. He was there as his coach. He was there for him as a father. Not so much for Dustin. Dustin never got to see his dad. His dad was too busy being a star. Yeah, not even there at Christmas and birthdays. He's right there, lads. That's, that's, Vince, God, is pushing his luck here now. I mean, that at this moment, I was like, okay, you don't need to be this fucking on the nose about it, right? But it's effective. It you is. were crying. I said, no, I was. I was crying because as the match went on, Dusty on the outside, at the start, he's just there kind of concerned. Then he does a little bit with Dean. And you can see he's just fucking feeling. He's turning around to the fans. He's, he's dancing. And like... Towards the end, when they're getting to the home stretch of this match, Dusty's already got tears in his eyes because it's yeah. just like he didn't know this is what he needed to see. Yeah. And there's so much healing that's needed in all three parties, mm-hmm. I think. And I don't know why, in the weird world of wrestling, that caused so much of these problems that the fucking solution to them was a wrestling match. <laughs> How about it? Who'd that's have thought? Wrestling. That's wrestling for you. The crowd are electric. Cody hits a muscle buster and outside Dusty Rhodes gets his wish. He gets Dirty Dean Ambrose. He bops him with the belt. It's fucking amazing. He does the bionic elbow. And much to the last episode, it literally looked like he had a callous ball peen hammer made out of bone in his elbow. (laughs) And Dean Ambrose could barely hide his glee at taking probably the last bionic elbow ever on TV. Goldust distracts Roman and we get the crossroads onto Seth. The Rhodes brothers win. The arena comes unglued. I had tears streaming down my face, as did Dusty. When Dustin came in, his arms stretched out and he fucking grabbed his brother. It's like this was the moment this family needed. It was 
It was it was amazing. This match I had not seen since I first saw it back in 2013, and for me it lived up to the to the legend of seeing it the first time around. I didn't think it would, but for you now, I don't know. Like this match, obviously, it's playing off of a lot of the kind of the the for lack of a better word, the trauma that we've discussed these last two episodes. Did you think they managed to to harness that for good here? How did they do in this match? Did it entertain you? Oh yeah, no, it was definitely an entertaining match. It's very very good match, and I think it's worth watching. I mean, alone because Dustin is very gifted, and it is genuinely worth watching just to see how good he is. He's better in this match than any of the other matches that we had seen prior yeah. to this point. I think. Yeah, definitely, easily, and. It's almost like he's aging in reverse. Like, he wrestles like a young man, like, with so much energy and vigor. Yeah, and people are saying, like, oh, he's like a fine wine. If a wine appeared this young, uh, I would be annoyed. I'd be like, this this is, this is wine needs to be older because yeah. he looks too young now. Like, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> he's, he's aged in reverse so much that the wine analogy is no longer applicable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the the symbolic nature of it, the fact that it is like it's the Rhodes family reunited, I think if you are familiar with that story, it's worth watching for that alone. Similarly, yes. because it's genuinely a really significant moment in wrestling. I mean, this is this is Dusty's last last appearance, isn't it? On his last promo, his it's last, last kind match. of yeah, it's that yeah. proper run, really. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they use them here and there, but like. This is one of the purest, like, Michael Cole literally screams, the good guys win! <laughs> like, you know? It, it is one of those rare moments of, like, you've managed to pitch a battle of good versus evil very plainly. Yeah. And it still works. I think that's that's what, you know, for all the shades of grey that we enjoy in AEW and all that, goodies and baddies really does actually hit home oh, hard. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a classic for a reason. Was there anything that took away from the match for you at all, like? I thought... I thought that Cody and the Shield could have wrestled better if I'm being really harsh. I felt that it was it was pretty much all carried by Dustin. Right, yeah, yeah. Like every single moment was good because Dustin made it good. And I know what they're all capable of, so I kind of feel they could have done a little bit better. But they I, could have given you more, but I guess yeah. with the reaction from the audience, and that's the proof of you like that's probably what Goldust was saying. You don't need to do as much. Like, yeah, you, you, can true. Get, you can get them with a little and it bit means, less. It means he shines. And yeah. like if they had done better, this would be a more ambiguous, oh well done everyone for doing a good match, as opposed to what is clearly well done Dustin for this match, because it is fantastic. I gave it four stars. Nice. Very good. And I'm giving that to Dustin. <laughs> he has earned that. You don't be thrown out those stars willy nilly. Like, don't. you know. Joe's got stars in her eyes and she wants them to remain there if at all possible. <laughs> The kind of downer about all of this is that it's kind of... And I think this is kind of like why a lot of people maybe don't understand you loving Stardust is because people associate Stardust with WWE seeing this emotional, real family moment and going, what if we put Cody in Stardust paint, though? Yeah, I can see. I can see that. And yeah. also, it's Stephanie's idea as well, which people hate. <laughs> Do you think she did that to retaliate against Dusty putting his hand in her face? She was like, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> I'll make your son into a gimmick you'll hate. Second generation yeah. Rhodes McMahon beef. Exactly. You know what? I believe that one more than the polka oh, dots. Me too. Absolutely, I believe that more than the polka dots. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Yeah, that's really funny. Like, 
the Stardust character, I think there was limitless potential there for sure, because Cody's a really dynamic performer and he has the ability to actually to do this really strange character. And I did like the the element of it I liked the most always was much like with Goldust, that there was this fear that he was being lost by this like strong, strange character and it was changing him. And they did really like some of the things now I saw them do and I was like, all right, do we need Stardust to tell Dusty Rhodes to his face that he's dead? And that's like literally one of the last times you see Dusty Rhodes on TV before he actually dies. It's kind of poetic though, isn't it? It's very powerful. It's fu- It's it's very powerful. That is true. But it's also very powerful. But Vincent Mann doesn't think these two could have a match at WrestleMania. Mm. The fact that because they... They're silly characters. That's why he can't see it. He just can't see it. Even after that match we saw, you can't see it? I... I... It's mad as well that like Vince can come up with a character like Goldust and Stephanie can come up with a character like Stardust, but no one's like, yeah, let's push them. The ideas that we've had for these characters. They're like, yeah, we've come up with these ideas and they're supposed to be kind of mid-carders. A WrestleMania match between Cody as Stardust and Dustin as Goldust, where they're both trying to out-mind games each that other. That would have been amazing! Because that was that's what I thought would happen, because they were like kept doing this thing where like Stardust was doing all these crazy stuff, and Dustin is like, like I know firsthand what's happening here. And I was hoping they'd do, like, you want to see fucking mind games? I'll show you mind games. And, like, he really go in deep, and they try to, like, battle each other in this, like, mental game of chess, leading up to this match at WrestleMania that will be full of, like, you know, these two weird intergalactic demons handstanding and doing weird taunts and biting into each other's faces. I would have loved that. Instead, we got a forgettable match, like four minutes or whatever it was at Fastlane. Mm. And it literally ended with them going, no, that's not the finish. What? Oh, man. And that's like, that's it. Really. The end. Yay. That's the end. And okay, we, like, we liked Golden Truth and all that, you know, but it was very obvious with Golden Truth that they were just trying to use him for some comedy or truth is great at comedy goldust is as well it's pretty gross as well like the number of times they've teamed dustin up with a black wrestler in a comedy tag team gimmick yeah that's true it's like it's a it gets past the point of being like oh that's nice too okay that's lazy that's and really lazy three 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 as well who did the scissors kick because he was teamed up what? with booker t who did the scissors kick as his finisher or truth did the scissors kick as his finisher and alicia fox who did the scissors kick as her finisher oh my God. It's such a weird thing, isn't it? Like, it's so weird. I know he's teamed with Sonny Kiss in AEW, and Sonny Kiss has bust out the scissors kick now and then, but <laughs> not as a finisher, so it needs to be buried in okay. mind. Very, very strange line that runs through his career. But like he was he was just basically being like forgotten about, like they do with their legends. You yeah. Know, used for Legends Night, or used to put some young people over. Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble or whatever. Or you're gonna be on, you know, these are in the mix the last cool thing they did with him was the mixed match challenge where it was going to be him and Mandy and they had this whole thing where he was like obsessed with it because she's this perfect golden woman and I thought so good and I think he got injured or Mandy it was Mandy got injured mm-hmm. I think and they put him with, with Alicia instead but I really felt it was this story that epitomized that they just didn't give a shit about him anymore mm-hmm. and they're like they'd gotten what they wanted out of him and they were doing this raw reunion thing you know bring back the legends for raw reunion night and they invited Terry and Terry she is kind of, you know, really excited to be there. She'd been on TV in years. And she texts Dustin saying like, hey, you know, do you think we'll be able to do anything together? And Dustin's like, oh, I'm going to go and pitch 
that you and I come out together as, as Goldus and Marlena. Like, I think it'd be really cool. Oh, it's like way after they've divorced yeah, and yeah. they're friends again now. They, they maintained a really good relationship. That's, so, that's, that's my favourite thing in wrestling. Yeah, it is, honestly. Like, wrestlers who have a career with their partners and then they get divorced and they're still friends. That's, uh, that's, DDP and Kimberly yeah, happened as well. Like, yeah, you know. So good, love it. And he's like, yeah, I'll go and I'll pitch it. And he pitched it and they didn't want to do it. And the way that the corporate speak that they mm. gave Dustin was that no and this is from Vince's mouth mm. Terry deserves her own spotlight fuck you fuck you they literally think she's too old that's it and he sends her a message saying yeah they think that you need your own spotlight fuck you and she was Liar. like do you mean because like when we're going to come out with an entrance they're going to do like a spotlight for both oh, of us bless her and, she, and she's packing... both so stupid I know she's, she's like she's like I'm packing gold dresses oh no just in case. No, sweetie. He just doesn't want to use you. And I'm not saying that's the moment, but that is a moment I'm sure of many that he yeah. had where it's like, all right, I don't need to do this anymore. I hate that as well. The cowardly, like, just be honest. Just be like, no, we don't want her. Don't be like, yeah, we need to give her our own spotlight. So what are you going to do then? Are you going to give her own character? No, she waved to the crowd on her own. That Fuck was it. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. She is so... Oh. How cool would it have been mm. to see Marlene and Goldust together? It would have been so cool. And it, it would have been really healing exactly, for people yeah, as well. Was, again, like, you know... Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dustin. You've had quite enough healing for one career. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is the WWE, not some sort of healing space. How dare you? It would have been so good as well. Because, like, what year would this have been? Like, like 2016, 17. Oh, so after, like, the, 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 the latest wave of feminism. So they could have done the whole new angle of androgyny with a slightly modern twist. Make it a bit more tasteful. Yeah. Oh, they could have made them faces. It would have been really cool. They'd have been so over. Because, like, when I first started watching wrestling, which was literally 2016... Mm. That was the stuff I wanted to see. Like, mm. I loved Stardust because, in my mind, he was so unique and, like, this intergalactic, gender-neutral space being was, like, so modern and progressive and innovative. I can't... What a waste. Yeah, that I know. so cool. And that is definitely something that is very obvious from looking at Dustin's career. Is like, how, why are they fizzing with ideas in 1996 where everything, everything Too says, many. don't do this idea? And they, you know, <laughs> inspire themselves. I always wondered if it's because it was controversial. That's why that was the real motivation there, as opposed to it's a unique kind of really creative thing it's that we're doing. still controversial. Yeah. And if anything, it's more controversial in 2016 because lots of people kind of woke up, I think, to the idea of like feminism and mm. stuff like that. And so it would have been more controversial in some ways if they had lent into it in the other direction this all all they used to give us is like, i don't even think a run it's just like at, at the reunion just give us the two of them together come out yeah, you know that, that would have been lovely it would have been it would have been fabulous so he does leave the company and it was around the time of course cody is setting up aw with members of the elite and tony khan and they have the big announcement double or nothing which i believe was their second big pay-per-view that they were doing and it was right before they were launching their tv show it's announced like Kind of pretty much you know, only a week or two beforehand that Cody and Dustin are going to fight. They did very little in the way of build. They did like one or two little videos where they sat down and it's just like, I have something to prove to you as my younger brother. And Cody's like, I'm sick of all this Attitude Era 90s shit. My generation has been literally held back by the specter of what you guys did nearly 25 years ago. Like, get over it. I'm the Attitude Killer as far as you're concerned. Very, very basic brother versus brother 
And here we are for a final match, uh, one which we've actually covered before, would you believe? Uh, when we reviewed it for our pay-per-view review series, of which there are nearly a hundred of now, what? over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. If you become a $5 back, you get access to all of those, and as well as that, you get all of our side series adventures. What do you recall back in 2019? When we reviewed this double or nothing show, what were your memories of it? Uh, of of specifically Cody versus Dustin? I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. I hated the blood. Oh, I hated the violence. I hated the story. I hated how like these two brothers were like shoehorned into a match together that made no sense to me. I hated that Cody was killing the Attitude Era that died already. <laughs> 20 years ago get over it cody <laughs> i mean i was i was wondering like i remember we when we were sitting down to watch it, i was thinking but it's brother versus brother though and i remember when we did brett and owen you were captivated by that and i'm like surely the brother versus brother alone without any of the context would be enough and it wasn't no because they don't wrestle then. like brothers i mean how do they wrestle if not like brothers they just like wrestle like wrestlers I don't want to bury the lead here on this match, but like, has your opinion changed much on it? Because, I mean, we watched this match kind of pretty much right after we'd watched all the Rhodes Authority kind of content there. Yeah, I'd say my opinion did change. I didn't hate it this time. Did you understand what they were trying to do? Or, or, or did you feel there was stuff that, oh, that makes more sense now, I guess, because of what you'd heard about them? I don't know about making more sense. There was bits that I think I was more forgiving about this time. Yeah. Like when I watched it the first time, I didn't know anything really about Goldust or Dustin Rhodes. So my focus was on Cody because that's who I know about. And I know that he hated Stardust. So I kind of don't, I already didn't really like Cody. And then he came out and did all this. You know, his entrance is really annoying. He comes out to choirs of angels. Just too long. Like, if you ever hear a choir that goes just too long? Like yeah. a priest is like, been delayed so the choir has to keep, yeah, going, for keep going do the do the last verse again <laughs> there's a big chandelier of light a throne covered in skulls <laughs> then there's cody saying wrestling only has one royal family and now he comes dressed as guybrush threep miz <laughs> i would like kind of a monkey island style mini game where you have to do like you know insults, but they're all like Dusty Rhodes quotes, yeah. like you know, funky like a monkey, getting flippity flappity flu. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick the right one. Damn it! I didn't real. I thought that was funky. It wasn't. Damn it! And Brandy comes out in a bikini and a pair of very big high-heeled white boots. Oh, here's something. This is a wrestling wrestling uh, mystique here. She what? She was wearing that was a whole bodysuit. Uh, a- a oh, really? skin coloured bodysuit that oh, had a bikini cut yeah, thing I do actually it. remember that at the time it's just because the version we watched here was a bit low res so it's kind of hard to see ah there you go there was an embellishment there to the costume I do like that then we have fireworks fireworks display this is still Cody's entrance by the way just in case anyone thought we'd somehow skipped over the match and this was the end then we have a big sledgehammer is brought out by Brandy on like a little pillow it's handed to Cody. Cody hits the throne that's covered in skulls with the sledgehammer and there's a big explosion. Now, I, I'm a big AEW fan, but yeah. I couldn't help but notice just when we were recording this is all, just when we were recording this, 
I genuinely think that explosion was bigger than the barbed wire exploding death match. It definitely was. Yeah. We, I rewound and watched it again. It definitely was louder. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. It was Cody used all the budget on blowing up a... Ch- <laughs> I mean, it's a lot harder to blow up a concrete throne than it is to blow up a ring, right? That fucking throne. The way that he hits it and it just, like, it dissembles into three perfect pieces. And Eddie Kingston just jumps on it. No! <laughs> I had an anxiety, okay? The last time I had that anxiety, we're taking you to Rikers, boy! We're gonna destroy a chair, boy! <laughs> Brandy's standing around, like, saying, bring it down, with an expression of, of utmost love for her husband, but also Aww. slight confusion, like, okay, this is clearly important to him, but I don't get it. The look that she had on her face was similar to the look that Cody has on his face when he shows up on an episode of Shot of Brandy. It's ah, kind of yes. like... I understand this is important and I love you so much. I will do this for you. That, even that though is, I don't understand. That is the extent of my appreciation of what's going on here. So yeah, that's that's Cody's whole entrance. I think it takes about 15 minutes. It's very long. It's very silly. And I think that was the problem I had with this match the first time I watched it. Is I, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about how it's all about Cody. Yes. And actually, this match isn't all about Cody. And that was... I wouldn't want to say it's unfair of me to think that. I think that's partly the... The issued AEW had at the time of not being able to put across very good video packages. Yeah, I know they've come a long way since then, way. for and, sure. But back then, it was very much a sit in this chair and just talk to the camera in a dark room. I think the 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 entrance of Dustin Rhodes, that half face paint, I thought was so cool. And oh, had, it's brilliant. He had natural written down on the spine of his of his singlet uh, of his uh, bodysuit that he was wearing. By the way, I can't believe we went a whole episode without talking about it. wrestling in that fucking heavy leather yeah. catsuit thing. That's got to be one of the most sucky things ever. Seriously. I wonder if you hot. have to talcum powder yourself up before you get in, maybe. I know. I, I would imagine so. I mean, Ooh. I remember you'd have to like, unzip it a bit of the way and all that. I do recall, like, I listened to... Um, you know, Pritchard talked about the creation of the character that they had a lot of issues early on with the suit that it was like it was made by a non-wrestling tights company like they oh. went outside to they wanted to make it look different and unique but it wasn't breathable so oh, he, no. he struggled a lot with it as a result but yeah, yeah if it's possible he looks even better here than he did in 2013 oh yeah no he does he does he looks, he looks more confident he looks more proud of himself his head is held high he's just got this look in his eyes that is just like he's at peace with himself it's wonderful to see there's a big dusty chant when they both get into the ring which i loved Uh, i'm sorry i I will i will only do this once but i caught some of joe's exceptional anti-cody Rhodes commentary oh Oh, sure don't stand on the turnbuckle for the fans so they can take pictures just stand in the ring and fucking clap it was really annoying that he was doing that because i've been to wrestling shows and when you see the big star who by the way took 15 minutes to come out like come on that's self-indulgent can you at least give the fans a photo opportunity please because they won't get it when you're smashing the throne with a hammer because it's all dark they won't get it with the fireworks because it's too light just stand on the apron put your arms in the air do a pose, okay? And hold it for like two fucking seconds. But not the muscle pose, because when you did the muscle pose, oh, come on, you don't even have that big muscle. There's no winning with him. <laughs> oh, man, let me tell you, Dustin Rhodes here. Six years since that last match thereabouts, which is a crazy time to think, because, you know, everyone talks about how he's aged in reverse. Now he's at the point where, like, he aged to this timeless point and he has remained timeless ever since. Yeah. Uh, six years have come since he is using more like he does uh, a forward flip to the yep. outside it's amazing he does uh the canadian destroyer that flip pile driver yeah, it's so cool. 
Remember when John Cena yeah, did John that? Cena like, did it. Ah! And Goldust is like got fucking fifteen years on him yeah. here. It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh my god. Now, Dustin does set him up at one point. The fans are going crazy. He thinks he's going to do the, the Shattered Dreams where he puts his legs up. Now, Shattered Dreams is a move where it's actually you rarely got to see, but it was like his ultra finisher. The legs were put in a prone position. He would go into the corner and go... And then he'd kick you in the dick as hard as he could, uh, usually resulting in an instant disqualification. Yeah. So uh, one of those great moves in wrestling that is actually rarely hit, but anytime he went like, oh, am I going to do it? Fans would lose their shit because we love seeing people getting hit in the mickey. The uh, star of this match for me is uh, Brandy, who inserts herself in this match several times. Oh, Brandyberg with the big spear on the outside. <laughs> I love seeing a beautiful woman spear a big man. <laughs> But of course, this comes after he goes to that Shattered Dreams. Cody's removed the turnbuckle pad. Dustin slips in. He bangs his head off of it. And this is meant to be like, okay, a little bit of a blade job now. Uh, now, we don't get a blade job. We get possibly the most blood that has ever left a wrestler's body ever. So this is a blade job? Yeah, he did blade. Okay, that's why I'm not clear about. Because the first time I watched this, I was like, ugh, he bladed. And it's obviously just so he can bleed everywhere. And then I heard that, oh no, it was an accident. He wasn't supposed to bleed everywhere. It was an accident in that sometimes when you blade, you can accidentally go a little too far. Like, remember when Roman Reigns accidentally became a red man at WrestleMania that one year? Because he's like, so I'm going to cut the big dogs. Oh my God, that's so much blood. Yeah. Yeah, so so Dustin here, he just, I think, nicked a little bit too too much. And this thing about this that I told you, and I think it may have helped a little bit with your enjoyment of the match this time around, one of those interviews I caught with Cody and he was like, yeah, man, we freaked out when this happened because we didn't we didn't plan on it to happen. There wasn't going to be this much blood at all. And like in an interview with Dustin, he was saying like Cody kept coming over to me saying, let's go home, let's finish, let's do it. We're all right. We can finish, let's finish. He's like, no, 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 let's keep going, let's keep going. Cody kept trying to put his thumb over the wound to try and like slow the bleeding down. <laughs> You did a shit job, Cody, by the way. Cause... Shove his thumb in the wound, <laughs> wiggle it around. The man bleeds so much he cannot open his eyes. Yeah, he wrestles most of this match blinded by blood. That's amazing. I like that he gives Cody a spanking at one point as well. Yeah, I don't really understand why he can't do Shattered Dreams, but he can spank Cody with Cody's weightlifting belt. I, For whatever reason, belts being taken off and people being whipped in wrestling seems to be the greatest thing that referees just like shrug and put their hands in the air for. I never understand. Do referees like just think a belt is part of a wrestler's body? Perhaps that could be it. An extension of themselves. But Hogan used to whip off the weightlifting belt back in the day as well, and he'd whip people with it. The referee would be like, "Come on now, hey, back it up, one, <laughs> two, come on now, get off the belt." Like you know, it's stop just... using that weird third arm to hit your opponent. <laughs> <laughs> I just liked it as well because obviously. You know, the, the, the belt, that's a big part of the, the Rhodes. You know, any sort of like a leather strap, that's a big part of the, the Rhodes family tradition. And another big part of the Rhodes family tradition is not having pants on, you know. And the Cody's pants were pulled down so far, you think he was dusty booking Florida back in the 70s. <laughs> Cody kicks out of the curtain call and then Dustin kicks out of the crossroads. The crowd are beside themselves. And Jim Ross is so motivated, he sounds like an actual wrestling announcer. It's unbelievable the energy they have here. <laughs> we come down to these punches and the bit I love, like we, we both went, oh, those big swings that Dustin were do was oh, doing. yeah, so good. Because he's bleeding so much. 
And he has this big swing. He literally spins in the air like he just yeah. he's too much momentum. Oh, fucking. He throws nice. himself around. So cool. So cool. The only thing I didn't really think, I mean, this is my first time re-watching it. The only thing I thought where they're like, oh, I think you've lost it there. Or just stopped it being perfect was the fact that the crowd are like, ah, like on the edge of their seats. We had those great near falls. And then, like, Dustin was on the ground, the referee was doing the count, and Cody went, no, he just picked him up, did his finisher, and yeah. then that was it. And the crowd didn't really react. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm totally the same. The pacing of it was odd. Like, I felt maybe that second crossroads, that was the perfect point there. Like, I feel with wrestling matches, you have these natural ebbs and flows, and when you've got a peak, and you can hear the peak because the crowd go wild, you then have to wait a little bit longer before you try doing the other peak. And mm. it, instead, it felt like it, it was cut short. Yeah, there's just that slight jarring moment where Cody broke up the count and then just did his finisher really quickly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I know you want to go home and all that, but I felt that there was something missing here. Like him to look at his brother and go, what am I? All right, here we go. And I genuinely think that ending stops it being the perfect match. Yeah. However, what happens after the match makes it a perfect wrestling moment, which means we all go, ah! And I. I didn't cry, but I did have tears in my eyes. You did cry. Don't, Joe, stop telling everyone about me crying all the time. (laughs) You weren't crying. No, I wasn't crying. But it wasn't tears of anger. No, no, it wasn't. And I I gave this a good score. Oh, yeah? I thought you'd be surprised. I gave this four stars. Hey, how about that? I know. I never thought I'd see the day where I'd give a Cody match four stars. Well, here's the thing. We had a note from mum and dad's explaining why there was excessive blood loss. It's like, you can't be mad at them for bringing the wrong shoes to school. They have a note now. (laughs) And it was a lot easier, like, knowing the bleeding was accidental. I don't know what it is about my sick brain that makes intentional bleeding weird and wrong, but accidental bleeding, fine. That doesn't make you in the wrong, I think. Like, I saw an interview with, with Dustin afterwards. He's like, it was a great match, man. I mean, I was dizzy for days afterwards, but dizzy for days. That's so scary. Ah, give the man more blood. Give him some black pudding at least. <laughs> like, fucking hell. So, like, the moment afterwards, and, like, I, I had actually not seen the moment between Dustin and Dusty where, you know, that tearful embrace we saw in the yeah, last episode. Yeah, I just episode. want my dad. And seeing it here, oh, man, it brought it full circle. Mm. And, like, even, like, I, a wrestling fan of many years, like, you know, there was something for me to learn and a little layer for me to appreciate. That's why I bloody love doing this podcast with you because there's always so much to find out. Yeah. The career of Dustin Rhodes, I feel like him now in AEW, he's training with the women and he's like, you know, that's his focus. You know, yet another person claiming responsibility. Not for the booking of the women, he trains the women right. at least. So he's kind of adamant about like Britt Baker. That's one of his kind of like big projects. And also as well, someone he's working with a lot and he has tagged with briefly Sonny Kiss. Oh, yes. Now, Sonny Kiss, uh, a wrestler who you're familiar with from AEW? Yes, of course. Sonny Kiss is the best wrestler in AEW, in my opinion. <laughs> and like, what's interesting about Sonny Kiss is that you know, Sonny Kiss is not playing a queer character. By Sonny Kiss's like, own definition and own words, he is ambiguous about his gender. Right. You know? So I think hearing from wrestlers like that who have maybe, you know grew up watching the likes of Goldust and other flamboyant characters or, you know, gay panic type characters like Rico and, you know, heck, Velveteen Dream. I don't want to bring that name up really much in this podcast, but that's yeah. a, there's another example of someone playing uh, a kind of a, a, a character that borrows from the, the queer aesthetic, let's yeah. just say, to, to put it mildly. 
And Sonny Kiss has said, like, I love those characters. And, you know, they're super entertaining and all that. The only difference is, like, I'm authentic. Mm. And I get to be me now. And it's great, isn't it, that in wrestling, now a character like me can be authentic and real. And I think, like, I don't want to say, like, I ever want to excuse the the, the hurt or the, the harm that the Goldust character probably legitimately did cause, you know, in the 90s and maybe over the years as well when that stuff comes back up again, it's probably not been dealt with very, very well in wrestling and wrestling's not very good at having reckonings, I guess. No. But for me, I guess there is something to say that, you know, I don't want to... I, could Sonny Kiss have been in wrestling without there being people like Goldust beforehand? I don't know. like, But it certainly helped open the door somewhat. Yeah. I think, you know, Dustin has always said that he's been able to empathize with the gay community. Like in those JR promos that we, we mentioned, he's like, yo, I got like letters and stuff, man. Oh, and there like, you go. Yeah. He knows and exactly I, what it's like. And I get it. I've walked a mile in your letters. Like, so I know, <laughs> you know. I think there's one point where, like, if you can be kind of, like, sympathetic, but I don't know, like, you know, how much of a mile in, in those people's shoes that he walked. He certainly obviously got a lot of flack for it, but there's one thing, like, being called something because of the character you betray, mm. and because this is who you are. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, that same interview I'm citing, Sonny Kiss talks about how his father and his brother not cool with, with Sonny Kiss's, you know, identity and, and whatnot. And that's that's kind of heartbreaking to that hear is, that. Yeah, it's really sad. I just think I, I'm, I'm glad that we're at the point now where... It's not. It doesn't have to be like a gimmick, you yes. know, or you know, it can be something that someone can just ex- use wrestling as a platform to express who they are. Mm. Because long before Goldust, there was Adrian Adonis and Adrian Street. There's a long, 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 long line of kind of feminine, queer baiting, gay bashing type of characters in wrestling. And I do think like Goldust, for all of the failings of the character in the early days, he is an advocate for LGBTQ yeah, rights. and he's a vocal advocate for it. And he's, you know, he's got a lot of sway in the industry. He's got a trans stepson. You know, he wrote a very, I remember back in 2016 or 17, he wrote a very, very emotional, like kind of public plea. He wrote a letter basically saying like, transphobic attacks have got to stop. It, like, it, it affects so many people. Like, you know, and my stepchild is just a kid. And, I mean, his, his stepson was attacked. And, you know, he, he he's a type of father where he's like, my stepson is my son. You know, yeah. in, in the tweets, it's my son, you know. And that's kind of like, it's obviously heartbreaking. You never want to hear about anyone going through anything like that. No. But come a long way from a man who had to grab a dictionary to find out what the word androgynous is meant. Yeah. In terms of understanding of kind of the the complex world of of gender and and lgbtq rights you know so i kind of i think that he is a positive influence in wrestling and i think he's going to do untold good still in aw him as a trainer his mind i think the things that he can teach people and maybe some of the pitfalls that they can avoid along the way yeah it's one of those rare happy endings it seems that we've gotten in in wrestling with regards to dustin rhodes and the story's not even over yet and that's the most exciting thing about it Okay, a question I have for you at the end of this, and maybe relating to the naming of the episode. Does Dustin Rhodes, is he out of the shadow of his father? And oh, yeah. Is he out of the shadow of the Goldust character? I don't think Goldust has a shadow. Mm. Because Goldust is a sparkly surface, so it reflects light. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it... I think Goldust is too vague a character. There's too many different aspects to it. Dustin made it his own yeah. so much. And he 
he made it his own for so long that it's not like it was a gimmick that was thrust upon him that he hated and that he finally managed to escape from. It's He has a complicated relationship with that character and I think he would probably be the first to admit that. Yeah, I think that's definitely... Definitely uh, the the kind of healthiest way of looking at it because I think with with Dustin's career he's someone with such a long career you can go into any random moment and yeah. kind of extrapolate and kind of think this is what the character was or this is what it was all about and it's it's a real it's a collage of all these different like a lot of failed gimmicks yeah. are kind of bits of it are incorporated in and what he is now in wrestling is so far removed from what I thought he would end up being in wrestling when I was watching, you know, Black Rain and TNA in, in the 2000s, I you mean, know? The fact alone that, you know, as he's wrestling as Dustin Rhodes himself on AEW right now, and he is still playing a version of Goldust, like mm. his, his aesthetic as his character is very reminiscent of Goldust. He yeah. clearly doesn't hate the character lots because otherwise he would have completely divorced himself from it and done something different. He hasn't. Instead, it's like a, it's an homage yeah, you know what? It really reminds me of Steve Coogan and the Alan Partridge character. And this is not just for Dustin. I feel it happens a lot of times with wrestlers and their gimmicks where they get so associated with the gimmick or just this one part of it and they kind of feel like, this isn't all of who I am. And they kind of get angry with it. But then also kind of like, you know, Dustin definitely was able to see the effect that that character had on people, good or bad, and was able to kind of pivot the character. And like when people say he found the heart of that character, yeah. he definitely did. I, I'm just happy that he's in a healthy place with his legacy and his career. And I think as healthy as one could expect to be at that point in time with what he's been through, you know? And it, like I think one of the nicest things that ever happened is that the Rhodes family got a happy send-off, mm. you know? And they got those moments together in the ring because... There are not too many... Ha- like we, We've talked about wrestling families before. We've talked about the McMahons and the Hearts. And there's not a lot of joy in there oftentimes, it no, seems. No, not many happy endings. And uh, in this case, it does feel like that the good guys did win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my main takeaway is, like, obviously, I think Old Dust is a really complicated character who has done, you know, a lot of harm and a lot of good. I'm certainly not one to say whether or not the outcome of, of his character is good or bad. But I, I have to say, I think my main takeaway is that I am glad it's someone like Dustin Rhodes who was given the character and not someone else who, mm. who you know, he saw the potential of what it could be and what it could mean to people. And he, he listened to people's grievances and their celebrations of the character. And he, he took them all on board. And I feel a lesser wrestler would just turn the whole thing into a stupid go- joke, yeah. make it horribly offensive and then be like, ha, 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 but no homo. Here's my theory, right? There are no great gimmicks in wrestling. There are only great potential gimmicks. Yeah. It's down to the performer. And, you know, like we said, it, it could have went so many other ways. Yeah. I'm glad it turned out the way it did uh, with all warts and all. Let's get into your tweets and your Facebook posts.
I mean back. Joe, we got some treats using the hashtag HowToGoldust. Don't forget, as always, you can continue the conversation if you're listening to this episode in the future using that hashtag. Let us know your thoughts on the episode and keep the conversation going. So, Joe, what have we got? First up, from someone called Adam Bibolo over on Twitter. Who, i never heard of this guy. No, I mean, Are you sorry you've never treated this podcast before, is that correct? <laughs> Adam says, an underappreciated icon who should be held in the same regard as the likes of The Undertaker. Whoa! He was put in a really risky role, but still managed to stay a part of the mainstream wrestling for nearly 30 years, and is still evolving at an age where most would wind down. Yeah, I would say, definitely get the comparisons with The Undertaker because of... I think you mentioned before about like a character that if you wrote down on paper, no way, that's no, that will definitely won't work. Just a testament to the person themselves. I don't know if Dustin Rhodes is the type of person that you could have given him any L character and he would have still become a star with the length and tenure and success that he had. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he would say that. Mm, I think that definitely, sometimes people get a character, I think this is the same with Mark Calloway who played The Undertaker, Sometimes you're given a character that's just like this amazing, even though it's very defined, it is still something of an amazing blank canvas, Mm. which you can kind of express your personality through this character that's been kind of made already for you. Because, yeah, the evolution, the Goldust character, it's got to be up there with the evolution of the Undertaker character. Yeah, absolutely. And Adam's not the only person who pointed out the comparisons between the Undertaker and Goldust. I would love to say that to the Undertaker's face. I want to see his, the soul, the light leave his eyes. How about this, Joe? Instead, anytime we see Dustin Rhodes wrestle, we'll just go, I've never seen Dustin Rhodes look that damn good. <laughs> it's better than ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what we say like, every literally time. literally is yeah. better than ever. He's as good as the hyperbole of yep. Michael Cole makes Mark Calloway out to be at times. Yeah. <laughs> Next up from Tristan McCarroll. Oh, and Tristan as well. Thank you for doing that amazing version, acoustic in rendition of the Jim Johnson Goldust classic, which uh, some people have said to me is their all-time favourite theme, and I think I would agree with that. Oh, it's so good. Oh. I mean, it does sound literally like something I've missed, and I mean that as the highest compliment. <laughs> so Tristan says, My first impression of Goldust was a tape of the pay-per-view where he did weeks of a preacher gimmick talking about the second coming, only to return as Goldust and kick noted transphobe Val Venus in the balls. <laughs> it was as satisfying then as it is now. Also, his theme as Goldust is iconic, and I discovered while trying to do an arrangement of it that it goes through four different keys at different stages when there was no need for jim johnston to go that hard so joe just you know for not for me obviously because yeah. i know a lot about music i've listened to over 50 albums yeah. so i don't really think i need to have this explained but maybe yeah. for the people at home it's changed the key key changes so simplified way of explaining a key change you know in the bang and pop song from like the late 90s where they suddenly go a bit higher at the end and it's like they almost like they're still singing the same song it's probably the chorus even they're singing mm-hmm. but suddenly it sounds like a bit different and like better and like more 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 good you talking about they might be giants because that seems to be like the only thing they did sure anything yeah. right it's, okay it's where they change the end of the song to make it sound more empowering more powerful uh, that's basically a key change it's when it kind of changes the key of the music so it's in a oh. different key because there are you know you think about it, there are all these different phases of that theme song you know because I, I always like what a wrestler's theme that there is kind of you know the bit for them walking down the ramp and then there's empty a bit when they hit the ring and that's mm. something that jim johnson who used to do the themes was very adamant about 
I like that you still have that, but it's not as if there's like big drums coming in or anything. It just becomes more dramatic, more yeah, strings and stuff come into it. Same thing, but different. Oh, I love it. Clever, very clever. So fucking good. Next up from Earth Law 3. My fiance hasn't watched wrestling since 2010, but she still remembers Goldust compared ha! to all the other wrestlers. No matter what gimmick, Justin Rhodes always put in the work to make it memorable and special. Also, his snap power slam is a work of art. It's a thing of fucking beauty. I mean, if, if he's aged like a fine wine, then that power slam is like the best goddamn bit of cheese in the world it's to go with really it. nice stilton yeah i mean you can really only appreciate the two of them together when you think about it yeah. that to that point though that recognizability you know you're you were saying earlier that's the, the kids would draw a picture of goldus it's memorable it, mm. it absolutely is i wonder like if the goldus character is so big and so kind of iconic within the world of wrestling that there are many people might be a bit almost hesitant to go for a full face paint bodysuit type of thing because they might assume that they're stepping on toes for someone who's still actually actively wrestling. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's not just him, though, is it? It's like Jeff Hardy, people like that have kind of like made face paint their thing. It's definitely not as much of a thing these days as it used to be. I just, with Goldust, it's different, though, isn't it? Because Jeff Hardy, he's a guy who, like, who happens to wear face paint sometimes. Whereas Goldust, at least in my mind, I always viewed him that Goldust, like, he was the face paint and everything and the, yeah. ca- and the suit and all that. That was the character. He wasn't a guy being that character that's what he was mm. i don't know i feel like we saw more creativity in the artist formerly known as goldust than you see probably on an entire roster sometimes in oh, terms yeah. of character creation we had royal rumbles a couple of months ago and yeah it feels like a lot of people were looking very similar in terms of their outfits and such yeah undeniably i don't know how much i'm guessing given that he does his own face paint that Dustin so actually is heavily involved with like the character design of, mm. of his various stages. That's so fucking I, I hope that's the case. I know, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is as that, far as I know. That's fantastic. And in my opinion, talent like that should be nurtured and he should he should give talks to wrestlers on things like developing your look, oh, making you, yourself seem iconic. Where do you learn how to do face paint like that? It's like you're Sting, him, Jeff Hardy, they all do it. It's like, but they all do it themselves. I'm guessing like a makeup artist probably sits be, down yeah. one day when it's a bit quiet out back and they go, right, you stay late and I'll oh, teach you how to do it. Terry was uh, originally a makeup artist in WCW. That was her original. Uh, of course. I, I wonder, I wonder, I, that's all, yeah. Not saying it's true, just wondering. <laughs> and then Goldust taught everyone else. <laughs> Next up from Harris Horndog. It's kind of tough. You can't ignore the very homophobic aspects of his character. But as a queer kid who grew up in the 2010s of wrestling, seeing him in the lower mid card was kind of cool. I could identify with him. He was weird and ostracized just like me. I think, yeah, that's... It's always worth bearing in mind, like, kind of... It shows with Goldust, you know, a lot of people are tweeting saying, like, well, it was only a very small part of his career. Mm. You know, it was only a very... And, it, I mean, truthfully, it was. It was, you know, maybe a year or two where that element of it, the sexual kind of element or the, the gay panic element was, like, front and centre. But it shows you how long stuff like that, it hangs around because, you know, so many people have tweeted saying that that's the main thing that comes to mind. And it's difficult as well when I think it's the origin of the character. That's it, like, yeah. that's the foundation It is of part it. of the character. He did manage to kind of... I guess unravel the knot and weave it in a little bit more cohesively but like you know if someone said to you gold it's like oh yeah that's that kind of evil gay character and they were watching in the 90s you'd be like uh yeah you know and that's not like that anymore well you know that's over 20 years ago yeah you know it's it's nearly 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and I think it's it's felt to this day and I think that's the sting of homophobia and people who kind of get up in arms about it being pointed out in wrestling and stuff just remember like you know people if you're trying to watch wrestling there is a constant reminder there very often. Yeah. 
Next up from No Life Lindsay. I'm a huge fan of Dustin Rhodes as a worker. He only gets better as he gets older. The Goldust character, however, has always felt insulting to me as a queer person. His later character development of badly portraying a disabled person wasn't any better. Yeah, I, I was just saying that we're not going to try and uh, do which was worse. But like he had two really fucking offensive gimmicks there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the, the Tourette's thing, I still, I don't think I've fully kind of but it's not Tourette's but oh, oh my god it's man. so like it's as if saying it's not Tourette's somehow makes like making fun of disabilities it's fine because it's not we haven't named it so it's okay to make fun of it you know what it is, it's interesting as well because you know, that came from a period of time where he was you know he was in a better place yeah but I, I think it's always worth bearing in mind as well and like a lot of wrestlers you think the story is they were in a bad place then they got to a better place Dustin Rhodes was in and out bad good sober not sober you know he struggled over and over the years and i think his willingness to do stuff that was kind of egregious like you know he he's this is the same guy who was you know asking to get breast implants at one point in the 90s but in 2002 he was totally fine right and he was doing mm. this Tourette's thing i think there is this there was always this insatiable need to kind of make people happy it feels like yeah you know whether it not his dad or vince mcmahon or whoever's in charge of the wrestling company and I think that's why we got a lot of particularly damaging stuff. And I can just imagine, you know, a very convincing Vince in 2002. Who you know, knows? Loves stutters yeah, and all sorts of ticks. Make knows, Vince laugh. Knows that Dustin hasn't got a father in his life at the moment and would probably do pretty much anything to get a tiny ounce of approval. Like, yeah, I I try not to blame Dustin, even though I think he, you know, it's good that he takes responsibility for the character. It's the type of thing that if he was asked about it, I would, like, there are wrestlers who I kind of have the opinion of that if they were asked about certain elements of their characters, you get shut down straight away. Yeah. Whereas he feels to, at least because he's dealt with the, you know, he dealt with almost immediately with the impact of the Goldust character, you yeah. know, in, in terms of the the fans hating him for thinking he was something and for the other people hating him for, for him pretending to be something that he wasn't. I think, yeah, there are certain wrestlers who I think would be able to talk about these parts of their characters and those who wouldn't. I would put Dustin in the category of someone who I thought would be able to talk Has about it. Has he spoken about this character or this I've, aspect? I've not seen it. And that's the thing as well with this this tweet block business, you know, mm. this auto-blocking thing. That shuts down a lot of those discussions because I think he thinks people are trying to troll him. Or I think, you know, people like us, I'd like to know what his thoughts are on it. Yeah, I know? don't think, you know, it's, it's one thing. I'm not trolling, you know. It's one thing to block everyone who says, oh yeah, Black Rain is shit. I don't really care about that. Do whatever you like. But if someone is saying, look, you are, you're mocking a disability, even if it's not necessarily intentionally Tourette's, it is, it is mocking disabled behavior. What do you have to say about that? Mm. You know, if he's blocking people for that, then that's not okay. And I, yeah. I would hope that is not the case. Yeah, yeah. Next up from Fizz vs. the World, arguably the true progenitor of the Attitude Era. While there's a lot of cultural homophobia baked into the initial design, it's nice to see Dustin essentially pass the torch to openly gay wrestlers like Sonny Kiss in AEW. Yeah, I think that's that, that's something that we've talked about earlier in the episode and it is kind of a lasting positive impression because there's been, you know, there's been negativity as a result of that character, but I think there is also positivity and I think you don't you need to look to people in wrestling who are who are queer and how they kind of feel about it. And I think, you know, Sonny Kiss, not to put too much pressure on, on his shoulders or whatever, but like, I'm really glad that Sonny Kiss has talked about these issues because, you know, for me as a straight guy, you know, I'm kind of, you know, a bit lost in trying to understand it all sometimes. And it's kind of, you don't want to assume that people are going to be offended by something just because it is, you know, it's aged badly or something like that. Mm. I think as well, him talking about it being like, before the Attitude Era, we're talking 1995, 
you've often spoken about how you like that period of time in wrestling. I mm. think for a pay-per-view classic to do like a, a 95 pay-per-view or 96 where Goldust is on it and just see how jarring it is <laughs> to have Brad Hart be like, I'm going to stop this man from repoing Randy Savage's hat. And then the next <laughs> thing it's this fucking, you know, stalker character or whatever. I think it'll be a really interesting watch. I think that new generation is not as squeaky clean as I may have once thought as a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> So in summary then, Goldust is the Undertaker. <laughs> I think we should start referring to Goldust as like, you know, as we refer to Mark Calloway's various guises of the Undertaker. Like we've got Booger Red, we've got the other one. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the Holy Trinity though, that's the thing. The unholy trinity with Goldust <laughs> it'd probably be more like, I don't know, Septuples or something like that. Because you gotta include Seven in there as well. So many different parts of his career, so many different facets to his character. He's definitely bigger than just Goldust, but not many people could take the mantle of Goldust and then manage to be Dustin Rhodes afterwards. That is a true mark of a, a legendary performer. It's been a an emotional ride going through Dusty and then Dustin, you know. Yeah. Uh, first time, yeah, I felt like, you know, I was <laughs> very sheepish when I was like admitting to Adam the other day. I was like, yeah, I cried twice when we were watching stuff. <laughs> and he literally went, what? And I was like, Guys. no, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said it as well. Like, no, you... no, 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 he didn't. No, no, to be fair to Adam, he was like, I totally understand. Why. After I told him yeah. what it was. But, it's, you know, <laughs> I think it's it's been a really it's been a real interesting look because these are two characters where I think, you know, the more the years go on, the further the, the kind of the actual story and the further from the truth it'll go because the Rhodes legacy is split in many respects, copyright and otherwise between two companies. We talked in the dusty episode about how we, we hope that that legacy just doesn't get kind of knocked back and forth and all that. I'm glad we talked about this when we did it's helped me understand Dusty, who I always thought was the Rubik's Cube of fucking wrestling. I think I understand him a little bit better without just hating on him. <laughs> and I think that we both understand Dustin Rhodes a little bit more. How about Cody? Are you still... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Don't know, we'll have to do an episode on him, I guess. Yes, but not next. Our next episode Thank is one... God for that. <laughs> Our next episode is one which we've been wanting to do for a few months and we are just kind of waiting for a moment where it kind of, I don't know, felt like comfortable and right to do it and where maybe it isn't such a raw nerve but in 2020 we lost easily my favorite wrestler who was you know an active wrestler at the time and one of my all-time faves and someone who since his passing we've kind of just heard infinite stories about what a what a great man that he was and i just want this to be a celebration our next episode is going to be about john huber aka luke harper Big Rig Brody Lee, whatever you want to call him. This is going to be a celebration and an examination of the man, the characters he played, his career, his most famous matches, the stories that we've heard about him. The man was something of a mystery when he was alive, I think yeah, it's fair to say. An enigma. And we've kind of, he still managed to maintain that enigma status in death, and yet we've learned so much more about him. And I'm really excited. How to John Huber. We are after your matches, your thoughts, your memories, your feelings, your favorite moments, not just from WWE and AEW, but if you followed him on the indies as well, I'd love to hear your thoughts about Mr. Brody Lee. So yeah, that one's coming up next. I know I just said I cried twice in this episode. We're both going to be crying for this one. Yeah, so um, to, to quote Vinnie Jones, it's going to be emotional, to, to, to say the least. <laughs> Use the hashtag HowToJohnHuber. Let us know your thoughts about the late, great Brody Lee. 
until next time, it's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll catch you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.